What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Nick and Manny's Infinite Podcast. I'm here. I'm Nick. With me, as always, is Manny. Manny, how are you doing? I'm Manny. What's up, everybody? It's good to be back. It is indeed good to be back. Welcome back to another episode of Nick and Manny's Infinite Podcast. And today, we're joined by a very special guest. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work with this person in the past with uh, his own stuff. And my phone just went off, so I'll go mute that real quickly. But... um, (laughs) He's been in the YouTube game for, you know, a long time, 10 years. He has a great personality, great host. He's very smart, and I'm glad to have him here with us. We have Max Smallpav, uh, Max Blitzwinger here with us. Hey, what's up? Smallpav is only for uh, the closest of friends, a.k.a. enemies. Um, but yeah, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. I'm super duper stoked to listen to the uh, Nick and Manny uh, podcast, Infinite Podcast, live. I get to yeah. uh, I get an early early preview here, and uh, super duper stoked to talk about uh, Spider Man, which I guess I just spoiled that we're going to talk about that. But I think the episode title would have spoiled that. Oh, okay, that is Fair true. And we got to we got to get those views. That's very yeah. important, and you need to work on your thumbnails. But I've already thumbnails. told yes. Manny about that because <laughs> yes, hey, I absolve myself of all responsibility on those thumbnails. Sure, he does all the editing. I do the thumbnails. That's yeah, the way that that's works. How, that's thumbnails, descriptions, that. and episode uploads. I okay. do the hard work. So it's all Nick's fault, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's Nick's fault. Yeah, because because um, you're Nick and I'm Manny. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I'm Nick. He's Manny. That's the way this yes. episode is yeah. gonna work. This is gonna keep um, happening because I always do confuse the two of them and, uh, as far as <laughs> names. So if I do it during the episode, um, I'm not doing it on purpose. So I apologize in advance. I'm still yeah. impressed that you do that because you actually know one of us and you've never spoken to the other until about two minutes ago. So yeah. it's really impressive that you still do that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, we are here. We are going to be talking about Spider-Man. We will be giving general thoughts at the beginning and then we will be talking about spoilers because it's kind of hard to talk about this movie without spoilers. Um, but not, you know, that hard. But we will be talking about that at a later date. For now... I just want to, you know, get you guys introduced to Max for those of you who don't know him. Max, talk a little bit about yourself and your Blitzwinger channel and your Fanboy Potion channel and what you do over there. Um, I mean, I guess uh, I've been, like you said, I'm a veteran of the YouTube game, if you can even call it that. But to be fair, I think that back in the day when I started doing gameplay walkthroughs, I want to say that I must have been like in the first. Okay, let's be generous here. Like the first 20 for sure people to do gameplay walkthroughs on YouTube, especially on like a regular basis and with decent recording equipment. And uh, so I started out with actually reviewing action figures to begin with uh, because I didn't have the money for equipment. Then once I was able to aggregate enough resources and be able to afford to get a Hapog HD PVR and a Yeti microphone, and then I just started recording Um, My niche was always with like superhero stuff. So that's usually the subgenre of games, I guess, that if it has anything to do with superheroes, uh, wrestling, and um, I suppose mostly like third person action games, then I was all about it. And that was really the kind of main genres that I stuck to. And uh, then I made a pivot over time after realizing that I was possibly going to like satisfy a part in the market for YouTube because at the time it was basically like PewDiePie, Uber Hacks or Nova if I if you guys even recognize these names 
Um, it was Ghost Robo. It was um, Tetra Ninja, Rad Brad. And most of them, except for uh, Zach, Ghost Robo, they really focus on like, or they would create content that was a little bit more like edgy and more swearing and things like that. Uh, whereas I thought, oh, I could be a good alternative to be something that's a bit more like family friendly. And so that really was the thing that kind of like helped the channel grow, I think, is that I was able to offer like an alternative to what everybody else was doing at the time. And so I really leaned into that and that allowed the channel to like snowball and get pretty big um, over time. Then after a little while, I started the Fanbo Potion channel, which was a supplemental channel to, Fanbo, uh, to Blitzwinger because I wanted to play games that were a bit more mature and things like that. So I was able to start that up. And that's always like a fun side project, I suppose, that I can uh, get to do. And uh, yeah, over time, again, it ebbs and flows as the views and interests of the YouTube uh, algorithm and the audience goes up and down. I'm still here, I guess, which is nice. Uh, but it's something that uh, over time, interestingly enough, like it was something that I was really, really heavily uh, into and was like at one point, the only thing that I did was just YouTube really as far as like a job and everything like that. And then over time, I, uh, as you grow, as the channel shifts and things like that, you start doing other things and you find other interests. So now I do it in conjunction with a bunch of other things that I do that is far more boring and has to do with like finance and things like that. That's a great story. It's always interesting to talk with people like you or with uh, Gabe, who we had on the show earlier, who was also like in that, I don't want to say like generation of video game YouTubers <laughs> and is, stuff. It is, it is, but, though, yeah. Yeah, but like the people that kind of started and were really heavily involved in that early days of gameplay walkthroughs, like you said, PewDiePie and sort of the different approaches to all the kinds of things that, you know, changed over the years with different rules or just different interests gameplaying starting to be thrown to the side in favor of streaming now and all those kinds of things so it's always interesting to hear you know what it was like all those years ago to what it is now yeah for sure it's a it's a really cool thing for me to see how the platform evolves right like so because i've been doing it for so long i can see different trends right like come and go and like how you said definitely most gameplay is now very much streaming based like as kind of the core there's very few people that can continue to do and at a regular output continue to make gameplay walkthroughs it's much more so now either a stream uh, or a streaming format uh, that it usually takes or you'll see stuff that's a lot more like analytical or review heavy or something that's more satirical like let's say like a video game donkey or some something like that where now it's evolved to where it's no longer about experiencing the game and watching somebody else experience it and things like that it's much more so about like what kind of insight can you bring to this experience that i've most likely already played through myself so uh, it's it's a weird thing because even within all that you can see certain trends for specific games happen as well, where you'll see uh, there was a boom for a little while there where like Minecraft YouTubers were all the rage, right? And then over time, you saw that slow down and die off as the internet likes to, you know, proclaim everything dead. And um, that died. But then I would argue probably over the last like two years or so, we've seen a massive resurgence and like it created like a new wave now of 
stars and new YouTubers who are now once again riding the popularity and the resurgence of Minecraft again. So you have the new Tommy, whatever his name is, and uh, Dream, and like this this new crop of talent uh, that even though they're using a game that already had its time in the limelight, they're able to like reinvigorate it with just new talent and new people being involved, and either people rediscovering the game or just new people, uh, a new generation being interested in it. So it's definitely uh, cool to be involved with something this long because I feel like most people uh, by now either give up or they make completely different content. And so like I do have like a cool insight in that sense where I get to see different approaches to gaming as far as YouTube is concerned. No, oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, you mentioned something in there that we've talked about before and I've talked about with Nick, but never seriously, which is wrestling. Oh, and yeah. you two are both <laughs> wrestling fans. And uh -huh. so, Nick, you have anything to ask about his experience with wrestling? Um, I guess what's your fandom like? How long have you been a fan? Um, so I got into wrestling, oddly enough, in the last year that I lived in Israel before I immigrated to Canada. Uh, because this is going to sound ridiculous, but it was an easy way to learn English because when they caught promos, I would be able to like clearly tell what they were saying because they really uh, enunciate everything and there's not as much um, slang and things like that. So it was really, uh, oddly enough, a thing that I started watching because of trying to start to adapt to learn English since it's not my native language. And so it started with that. And because Israel was always five to seven years behind as far as pop culture is concerned, I actually started watching WCW when it was already dead, like long dead, <laughs> like four or five years it was dead already. But I didn't know that. So like when we immigrated to Canada and I discovered that WCW doesn't exist anymore, it was a pretty big shocker to me. I was like, wait, what? Really? Um, so I started with like Sting and Hogan, like the late part of ECW, which is probably the worst time of it, mm -hmm. um, yep. and DDP, and um, Goldberg, of course, and the Booker T, and uh, Big Papa Pomp, Holla, if you hear me, Scott Steiner. Uh, yep. That was um, odd, but uh, we'll move along. And um, <laughs> then after that, I started watching like the Ruthless Aggression era, right, I guess yep. would be like when Cena, Batista, JBL, like that was my prime fandom until I probably, yeah, until probably like 2012 ish, 2014 was probably the peak where like I, I really stopped watching the product as much. Um, mm -hmm. Like right when punk left and I, it's unfortunate because I'm not one of those people that like likes to talk about wrestling in um, a very romanticized way or in a way where now I consider it to be like an inferior form of entertainment, which unfortunately is the case. I, I feel like for a lot of lapsed fans, um, I just think that I realized that what the WWE is, it's just not a product that's made for me. And I'm not saying mm -hmm. that in like a negative way. I just realized no, that I get it. Vince is positioning for mass appeal and he's not really you know, trying to accommodate that hardcore fan. And so I just fell out of being, it's impossible to follow the product. There's so much of it. And there's so, um, such a lack of logic between week to week and month to month. And so I just really fell out of love with the product itself over time. 
Uh, but fortunately enough, something called AEW has come along recently. And uh, I've enjoyed, I don't follow it as much as I used to follow, like when I was really a big fan, but I still enjoy the AEW product much more. Like I'll check in with the pay-per-views um, because I think it's a product that's a lot more obviously made for like a mature audience, but also an audience that uh, is paying attention week to week. And so you like, you're rewarded yeah. for putting your time into the product, which I personally, as somebody who's a fan of wrestling, like long form storytelling, I appreciate that Tony Khan pays attention to that. Yeah. Yeah. First thing I want to say is that if anybody wants to know how how long ago WCW died, Manny was not even born when WCW died. It died a few months before Manny was born. That's how long ago that was. I love um, that we use the measurement of was Manny when born you were yet? born. Yes. Because <laughs> you're a baby. Because we were talking about Lord of the Rings earlier and, and you were like, Manny was five years old when Fellowship of the Ring, five, five, months. Mo five, five months old when Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring came out. For context. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Good. I'll, yeah. I'll context, keep that in yes. mind. I'll keep, I'll keep yeah. that in mind. It's the measuring stick for everything. Just now, want to see how old something really is. Nick, I have to ask you, is it you always peppering wrestling information that allows Manny to do this ridiculous trick that I hate where he kind of knows just enough about wrestling where it seems like he knows what he's talking about when he's talking to you to the point where if you're a wrestling fan, you get excited talking to him because you're like, ooh, a fellow wrestling nerd. But then you realize <laughs> it's just all surface level. Um, yeah, so he was already like this before we started the show. I think like one of the first or second episode we were talking about AEW and he's like, he knows some of the stuff. He got some names mixed up, but it's like to, to me, I view it as like, he's someone who you can at least have a conversation with, even if he's not uber familiar, he's familiar enough that he can at least have a conversation with you about it, which I appreciate. But yeah, I, we, I knew before he talked about like the show that we used to watch Collider Live a couple years ago. That's kind of where he heard a lot of his wrestling stuff. And just by people he knows is kind of how that's happened. So Got it. I, he, he's not, he's not the ideal person for me to talk, to talk about with it, uh, to talk about it with, but he's yeah. someone I could talk about it with. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that guy, uh, Christian, he used to write for the WWE, right? And he was, oh, yes, he did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he might've yeah. mentioned that once or twice. Yeah. yeah. It's a running joke. <laughs> yeah. Okay, did you know he did a segment with The Rock? I've never seen it before. Never. Really? Oh, yeah, he actually did. did. Yeah, but yeah, my fandom was like I was born in '98, and I was a fan since before I could remember. Apparently, like Kurt Angle in the Invasion era was my favorite wrestler as a kid, which is I was three years old. That's too early for me to remember, but my parents said he was like my first favorite. And Such I a bizarre I, pick too, because like he's hated at that point. Yeah, for those for those few well he was a baby face for like those few months there that was like his peak as a good guy and i was all all about him back then um my first memory i've i've gone back i started after wrestlemania 14 and 98 and watched all the raws and all the pay-per-views uh wow. and all the smackdowns i i'm in middle of 2006 right now so like on and off for the last like six years i've been watching that and i have pinpointed the first actual memory i have of wrestling was in like november or december of 2002 and it's a really bizarre segment where it's the dudley boys and chris jericho and christian and they go through jericho and christian's bags and they find all this weird stuff in there like weird sexual stuff and bub <laughs> and bubba holds holds this thing up to this to the screen and of course it's just got a big label on it that says ass cream and that's my first memory <laughs> of wrestling is ass cream so of it's, so yeah i, yeah. I love being able to uh, that was kind of the whole reason i started way back when was to go through see what my first actual memory was and i'm glad it was that because that's an amazing story i can tell 
but yeah, my the peak of my fandom was probably like 05 and 06. 06, I remember that summer break. I was watching I was watching it every week and I was just like in awe of it. That was when DX reformed and stuff like that. Oh, and my yeah. Parents, my, my parents had to tell me when you go uh, in August, like when you go back to school, you can't tell anyone to suck it. And yeah. I was like, what does it mean? I don't realize. I don't know why I can't say that. And when so, they did the whole like Shawn Michaels is a Christian now, so he doesn't uh-huh. get any of the sexual humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that and, was when, great, and when, and when yeah. Vince McMahon literally faced God in a match, yeah. in a tag team match. <laughs> Yeah, I just watched that pay-per-view a couple weeks ago. That's where I'm oh at. Oh my god, I That's forgot the point about in time the where I'm match at. with God. Oh, that was so ridiculous. Yeah, he 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 beat God in a match. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and he, and he spit holy water like Triple H. It, it was the whole thing. Yeah, you, like that's the wackiness of wrestling. Just explaining that, saying that Vince McMahon, the owner of a multi-billion-dollar company, wrestled God and won and beat him. <laughs> It's just it's the so kind of thing ludicrous. that I can bring up unironically to someone like you, but if I say it to any regular person, they'll be like, "What the fuck is wrong with you? Why do you watch this?" And they're not wrong. I can't say they're wrong for asking me that question. Yeah. Um, and then when he blew up in the limousine, remember that? That was crazy uh-huh. too. Did you did you hear the story about how Trump thought that was real and then he called the offices to ask if he was okay? I did not hear that, but that is hilarious. <laughs> Just to check in on Vince. Yep. Hey, yeah, well, this is only a couple months after he shaved Vince's head. They were still on good terms, apparently. Oh, yes. That WrestleMania was also crazy with uh, Umaga. May he rest in peace. Uh, yep. And uh, Bobby Lashley, right? I think it was. Yep. Yeah, that was a crazy mania. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wrestling is crazy. It's one of those things that I always tell people, like, you either get it and you are entertained or... You just don't get it, and that's it. Like, yeah. I, it, it's it's very and I understand like, binary. If you don't get it. Yeah, yeah, and I and I don't even blame you because it's so like binary as far as like it's it's such a specific form of entertainment. Yeah, I used to I used to watch everything, but I think I've I've never fallen off totally. I'm not watching it like week to week anymore. I usually will like take a week right before a pay per view now, and I'll catch up on the major stuff that's happened on the shows. But I used to watch every single show, but I just I can't do that at this point. There's too much content, especially you know being in school or having a job. There's just too much to keep up with. So yeah, for sure. usually I'll watch usually I'll watch the older stuff if if I want to, and I'll usually watch that for a couple weeks here and there, and then I'll I'll take a break for a couple months. That's usually how it goes. You, you um, like any of the who's like your favorites right now? Like a couple. Uh, Roman Reigns is probably the best guy in WWE yeah, currently. That's what I keep and hearing. At least, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, I mean, that the whole show is kind of a mess. There's some good people there, but it's, a lot of the stuff just isn't sticking for the most part. And it's been, it's been that way for a long time. But there was some good stuff to come out of the pandemic, and his change of character was yeah. probably the the best one. Last wrestling question before Manny jumps off. Why did he get yeah. rid of Bray Wyatt? Uh, I don't know. It was, I mean, they've been getting rid of everybody this year. And yeah, I've heard but Bray like, is like, that I've heard, makes no yeah, sense. Yeah, I've heard conflicting reports. Like, I, I heard when they got rid of Braun, it was because he just had a big contract and they didn't feel like they needed him anymore because they had other giants that they were kind of viewing as like a shiny new toy. Um, so that I understood. But the Bray Wyatt stuff, like, I've, I haven't enjoyed that stuff for a while now, but I know it's, he's got his fans. So that was peculiar to me, uh, especially because, like, his merchandise was still near the top, like, even up to yeah, when he left. Yeah, that's what I mean. Because I feel like yeah. I, see, I saw that character everywhere, The Fiend. Like, they were merchandising yeah. the heck out of that. So it's that that one was just a head scratcher because it's like, even if he is expensive, I'm sure he more than pays for mm-hmm. whatever his fees are in just merchandise alone. So that one was really confusing. I, I went to an episode of Raw back in July, and, like, 
there was only like three di three different people that had merchandise. It was John Cena because that was when he made his comeback over the summer, and it was RK Bro, which is Matt Riddle and Randy Orton, and it was the Fiend and Alexa Bliss. That was like all the merchandise that they actually had for sale there, other than like the generic merchandise. But like in terms of specific people, he was one of like the three people that actually had merchandise, and a couple weeks later he was gone. So I don't know what the deal was. Like I don't like I don't like looking too deeply into the insider stuff because I think it's a lot of bullshit most of the time. And it's just people speculating, so I don't yeah. put too much sock into what happened there. But like, I'm not honestly not that mad that he's gone, even though they've released a lot of people this year that I'm, or I should say, they've released a lot more people this year that I'm more upset about being gone than him. Hmm. Okay, okay, fair enough. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, man. You did... We went on a tangent there. <laughs> yeah, I've got one more thing to say because you oh. did bring up AEW. I actually yeah. watched like the first month or two. I watched that first pay per view after they started Dynamite. And for whatever reason, I fell off and didn't watch it again for like two years. And I watched the show where Punk came back and I've been watching weekly ever since. I'm a little behind right now uh, since the last pay-per-view. But yeah, it's yeah. not like the best thing in the world. It's got obvious issues. Like I think the main issue is how they tr how they handle the women most of the time. Um, they need to give them more screen time, more matches, better characters and all that. But as a whole, it's definitely more geared to the kind of wrestling that I enjoy. It's more in-ring focus, which I appreciate. And I do think for the most part, they do care, uh, good character work. Um, yeah. And they're targeting, they're obviously targeting a more specific demographic. Like I also went to an AEW show a couple months ago and there were like no kids there whatsoever. It was mostly all dudes in their twenties and thirties. And then a couple of their girlfriends. And that was about it. Yeah. So, like, they have, the, they have the clear target demographic they're going for, which at least I, I fall in generally. I'm a, I'm a straight white dude in his twenties. So I'm kind of who they're going for. Some of their stuff, like I said, I don't like, but as a whole, I think they have a better handle on the demographics they're trying to reach than WWE does, because WWE is trying to get a younger audience, and their whole audience skews older. Like, their median age for all their shows is in their 50s and 60s, and yeah, that's, not it's good. Most... that's not good for long-term success. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, as long uh, the idea there is probably to just get new fans, right? Like, And, and the thing is that yeah. I think sometimes, though, we are a little bit, like, when we criticize the WWE, like, when I look at them from a business standpoint, like, when I look at their numbers, like, on social media, they do okay. gangbusters. Like, they are definitely not a dying property. Um, so yeah. uh, I, I still think that there's legs for now, um, yeah. for a while. But, uh, yeah, AEW, again, I agree. It's not a perfect product. Nothing is. So yeah. uh, I agree. I also think that, again, yes, their women division is... Um, lacking but i also wonder if it's just because of the fact that most of their division is rookies like they have very few veteran talents and so when you have a lot of rookies it's kind of difficult to be like oh yeah here's a 40 minute match because how good of a match can a rookie really put together right so it's like it's tough uh but fortunately enough at least they're doing all that stuff with aw dark where they are letting the like rookies put in time, put just put in mm -hmm. reps so that they do get better. Because I would argue that the biggest female stars in the world right now are what? Becky, um, Sasha, and uh, I, honestly, I think that um, Britt Baker is a bigger star than Bianca Belair. I, I wouldn't say that she's Bianca's done like mainstream crossover stuff this entire year while she's been on top. Yeah, and but she's, that's... she's on and she's on a show that gets twice as many viewers. Pro like, um, uh, yes, I, uh, your uh, average person will come across Bianca Belair more than Britt Baker. Possibly. But but I feel like as far as like being um, like Bianca is not in that position yet. Unfortunately, even though like I love the match that she had with Sasha at WrestleMania, I thought that was the best match that whole weekend. But mm -hmm. um, 
I think that she's not at that point where like she's must see TV, whereas Brit is there right now. Like it, she has this like buzz about her where the promos that she cuts, like she believes how good she is. And I think Bianca is still in that weird phase, almost like Becky Lynch was before she got her face broken. And she kind of like took that next step up where you listen to people cut like Roman, right? When you listen to recent Romo, uh, Roman Reign promos, he's a lot more like confident. He knows yeah. how good he is now. And he's like, I'm, I know how good I am. I know I'm confident in what I'm saying and I believe it. Whereas when he used to cut promos part of the shield or even after the breakup and all that stuff, it was always very like, okay, bro, you're just reading a promo or you memorize this. And it, it mm -hmm. never felt like they believe what they're saying. And I think that Bianca is still in that phase where she's like, I'm the EST and that whole shtick, but she doesn't really believe it yet. And I think the only way for that to happen is that you need time. You need to allow these characters to like develop and have that click moment where she really believes like how good she really is. And I think that Britt Baker is there right now because everything she says on that mic and everything is fire. Like she's so confident in how good she is now. Even though I think Bianca is probably better in the ring than uh, Britt is, but I would say she is. It's but as we know from CM Punk, it's not about what you do in the ring. It's about can you talk people into the building and paying for tickets because that's what makes us excited. That's why that segment between Punk and uh, MJF did like a million views overnight for a character that's like relatively unknown, right? Going toe to toe with an all time great, so. I think that the promos, oddly enough, are more important than the in-ring oh, work. Yeah, yeah. Like I've I've talked I've talked to people, and I know people who have said they know people that are like they watch the promos and the entrances, and then when the matches come on, they're back on their phone. They couldn't care until the match is over, and then they get to see the next people. Like yeah, there are a lot of people out there that that's not important to them, and it's more important to me just as a fan. Like if I didn't like the matches, I don't think I'd have stuck with it this long. Um. Yeah, like the promos are still the most important thing. I think sure. promos, for the most part, at least in WWE, don't end up playing to their strengths because they're too overly scripted and they just have to go so goddamn long because the shows are so long. Yeah. So you got people out there talking forever that, like, even if they can talk, they're talking much longer than they need to. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I would say just the last thing on the Brit and Bianca debate is that Brit's definitely the biggest star that AEW has in their women's division because I don't, I think that's part of most of the reason why is because they haven't put in the work on the rest of their division whereas bianca is at least rubbing shoulders with becky and with sasha on big stages and they're the biggest stars that they've had for the past several years so she's getting that rub from them and she at least in the case of sasha she beat her on the biggest stage and i think she's going to beat becky ultimately probably at wrestlemania yeah um, so probably. she's getting those moments and she's getting that crossover appeal she's she's going to all these award shows she's taking pictures with megan the stallion on instagram she's doing all this stuff yeah and yeah. I think in she, that sense, she's a bigger star because yeah. they treat their women as a bigger deal in general. And she's with other big stars, which Brit doesn't have that luxury. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, to me, again, that's where I would make the counter argument of saying that Bianca benefits from it's like dropping to bring it to our topic that we're going to discuss in a moment. Um, it's like dropping Tom Holland into the MCU. You benefit from an established world. And you get to rub shoulders with somebody like Robert Downey Jr. The equivalency for you, like you said, is Becky and Charlotte and all these uh, women who have now already are stars and have gotten to wrestle Ronda. And because of that, they're already money. They draw 
Um, so she has that benefit where she doesn't need to like, you know, make herself a star from the ground up. Whereas Brit was able to do that, right? Like that lights out match. That's the moment that she became a superstar, right? Because yeah. we've never seen women wrestle like that. We've never seen women do like a crazy match like that. Even though I'm not a big fan of all the, the blood and guts matches usually. Yeah, no, from that standpoint, I think you're right. I just think I also, I seems like I'm just more of a fan of Bianca's work in general than you are. Cause I think she's a star and she's got it. I think she's like, obviously a tremendous athlete and i think her character clicks with people and i i think she's there personally and i think they just need i think probably a win over becky is going to put the stamp on her but she's easily i think the biggest star that they've created in the women's division in like six years since they brought in all those women as uh, the four horsewomen yeah so i think i think she's there well, and i think except she's for the Rhonda. star that'll be carrying oh except for ronda but ronda was already a star they brought her in and then yeah. they, then she was gone in a year um yeah. But in terms of a star they've created, like she's a performance center talent and all that. She's probably the the most successful, especially on the women's side that they've that they've ever had. And I think she's going to be the one that carries them into the next several years. Yeah, for sure. I hope so. It's just yeah. um, I think we're in a huge like we're spoiled as far as that's concerned, because we've come a long way, like from back in the day, like you said, where we watch wrestling. It was all Brian panty matches and they were basically usually just sex appeal. And now, like. You look at, again, no cap, as the uh, kids would say nowadays, um, the main event for WrestleMania night one, like that match between, I mean, Sasha always delivers, in my opinion. I think she's like mm -hmm. phenomenal. I personally, I think she is the best female wrestler because I think she never has a dull or a bad match. Um, I probably agree. And um, the fact that she was able to like bring Bianca and like, Bianca rose to that occasion and made for an amazing, like truly a great wrestling match. Not mm -hmm. a mat, a great female wrestling match, a great wrestling match. And they told yeah. an, an excellent story and you could see how much emotion and what it meant to them to headline mania, be the first act to be in that position, like for the two night shows and everything. Like it was, again, re a really, really cool moment to witness for sure. Yeah, I would say probably the most successful Mania main event in terms of being a great match, creating a new star, feeling like a big deal that they've had, and at, at least since probably the Daniel Bryan one. And that's that was seven years ago now, eight years ago, this coming WrestleMania. I think it was one of the most successful Mania main events they've done in a long time. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Manny? <laughs> um, you know, Nick, when you went to that MJF match and you got that photo holding the mid poster, oh, yeah. I think that was by far the best thing that wrestling has given us in the last it's ever created. <laughs> um, I will say that I hate that mid has become a thing on TikTok. Um, and oh, using that promo? Just, uh, yeah, they they use that promo, but they speed it up. So it sounds like it's oh, a yeah. chipmunk from Alvin and the Chipmunks saying You say Skyline Chili at like Skyline five times Chili. speed. Yeah, and I'm just like, okay. All right, guys. This yeah, is I don't even it... like his shtick for the most part, but I had to do that sign. I saw the sign. I'm like, I have to do it. It's my joke. It is your joke. But yeah, wrestling. Uh, wrestling. I think Indeed. 15. It was great. That's <laughs> what we got to say. <laughs> it was great. You were, you were definitely paying attention the yeah. whole time. He says, I actually as... was paying attention the oh, whole really? time. Okay, okay. I was. But yeah, I'm glad that y'all got to talk about wrestling. <laughs> I haven't so. actually talked about wrestling with someone in a long time, like a long conversation that hasn't happened to me for forever. Well, I'm glad that you got to have it. So here thank you. On yeah. the air. Yes. Um, Nick, outside yeah. of Halo, have you been playing anything? I really haven't been playing much the last couple weeks. I've been playing, I mean, not even much Halo. I think yesterday I, re I restarted the Infinite campaign. 
Um, but this last week, I haven't really played much. I think I've been playing some Smash Ultimate here or there, just playing like five to ten matches and then moving on about my day. I've played a little bit of Animal Crossing still every few days, but yeah, nothing's really gotten me lately. I think I said I would go back to Psychonauts 2, which I haven't yet. Um, hopefully, I've got a couple weeks off for uh, here coming up, so I think I'm going to try and get back to Psychonauts and then beat it. But after that, I don't know what I'm going to be playing for the time being. I think the next new game I'm going to get might be uh, Pokemon Legends, and I think that's next month, I want to say. That's January, it is. Yep. like 12th, okay. 21st. So it's somewhere in January. Something like that. January. Yeah, yeah I didn't. January. I had no interest in the Pokemon in the Diamond and Pearl remakes, but this is Breath of the Wild meets Pokemon, obviously, so I'm going to get it. Mm, Breath of the Wild. Just, just yeah. Breath of the Wild. Game of the year, guys. One of the best games I've ever played. I mean, I wouldn't Manny go that not far. Agree. It's a good game, but not one of the best ever. But oh, it's, it's a good game, but is it a good Zelda game? All right, we're I not leave the show right now. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're not going to go down that <laughs> stick. Um, I don't think I've been playing pretty much anything. Oh, I mean, Max and I did a charity stream yeah. at the time of this recording yeah. last Sunday where we played through all of Spider-Man Miles Morales. So that was very fun. We Do you want to tell them who won? You won. Oh, by that's right. Ten, by 10 minutes. We, it was, you won like 544, 545. And then I was like right after you at 550, 554, somewhere around there. Uh, indeed. We also should uh, thank uh, Nick for showing up and uh, yes, helping Nick us raise money. Up. Thank you. That was very, very generous mm -hmm. of you. So we appreciate the support. I was happy to do it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I, I missed the beginning of the stream, and my donation was how I realized that you called Manny Nick at the beginning of the show of the stream <laughs> last week. That yeah. was how I realized that. Yeah, I landed the introduction right at the beginning. I'm like, and uh -huh. joining me today is Nick. And then I, I was like, that's the like, first I heard of it. it. <laughs> I got to go buy a PS5 right now. Yeah. Quick. Yeah. Um, but in general, thank you to any of you who are listening to this, who showed up to that stream. We did it for about six and a half hours or so. We raised a lot of money to go to the Boys and Girls Club of America. So we just want to say thank you um, on this show and just, you know, thank you in general for listening and following us wherever we go. I just wanted to, you know, get that out of the way. Outside of that, I don't think I've actually been playing anything this last week. Oh, I started the Artful Escape, but I only played about the first 10, 15, 20 minutes or so. Um, so I didn't even get to play anything of it. But I like the visuals and I like the story that it's going. It's a like indie folk kind of game. It's by a it's by a band or at least one person from a band who made a game. Um, they're from Australia, I think. But it looks it looks very pretty. And I've been interested in this game for a couple years now. And now that it's finally out, which you can play on Game Pass. Hey, Xbox Game Pass, fifteen dollars a Xbox month. Xbox Game Pass. Phil, come on. Hit us yeah. up. You're still working on getting the sponsorship, right? Yes, I'm still yeah. working on okay, getting the sponsorship. Good. I emailed. We will Phil get that sponsorship. Week. Okay, <laughs> yeah. that's good. I I think you should honestly, because I think this is what they need. They need somebody who's like a genuine fan of the product of the service, uh, mm -hmm. to really go on ahead and promote it. So I think that it's just a matter of time. And boy, do we promote it! We promote <laughs> it in everything that we do. Boy, um, do you ever! When you Boy, appear on my yeah. streams, I feel like I should be sponsored at this point with how much you promoted on my streams. It really should, yeah. The, the, there are times where I'm not even in the stream and someone will ask, oh, how are you playing this? And if it's on Game Pass, they're like, someone get Manny. Someone yeah. go bring Manny in here real quickly. But yeah, that's on Game Pass. That's uh, It's a platformer indie game, and I think that's really cool. But outside of that, I haven't been playing anything, really. I think I've just been sort of chilling now that I'm back home. Hold and, up, bro. You know, I know for a fact that you have been playing something. What did I play? Fortnite? Marvel Apex. Avengers. I played, 
Oh. Oh. Yeah, we, we've talked I enough about Avengers. I did see you playing that the other night. Yeah, yeah, I know. You called me out on it. I, I yeah, know. I, as I should have. Yeah. I play that game, too. It's one of those games yes. that I... So I played it this week, of course, because uh, there's a bunch of new skins that were released. And I'm stuff. sorry to hear that. Um, I, look, here's the thing that I can't stand <laughs> about that game is that I want to love it. And every time that they they take a step forward, they take two steps back. It drives me nuts because I have such a tough time. Defend like just even this simple point, every every single Marvel game. Every single one, no exception. If they have Spider-Man as a playable character this week, what do you think they did? What do you guys think they did to celebrate the did. release of just No Way Home? Just because of Manny. They released more Spider-Man skins. Yes. Just just on PlayStation, right? Now. Well, no. No, Spider-Man was released just on PlayStation in general. He's only on PlayStation. And that was yeah. a week, two weeks ago. But then this week, they released more Spider-Man skins. But here's the kicker, Nick. Max, tell them about the kicker. So... Every other, like, you know, Marvel Future Revolution, Fortnite has Spider-Man now. So they released to celebrate. They were like, hey, let's release the skins, the costumes based on the No Way Home movie. It makes sense. People are hyped up for it. People are very excited about the movie. Maybe they watched the movie and now they want to play as these characters. It's really fun. Hey, there's a video game from 2018. I will repeat it for effect. 2018 for, uh, called Marvel's Spider-Man. We're going to even add the skins on to there. But Marvel's Avengers, on the day of the release of the movie, guess what they release? They release a skin for Black Widow from the MCU. How does that make any sense? Who, who's running that marketing team? Like, every other game was like, hey, this is a perfect time to go on ahead and release No Way Home skins. Not Marvel's Avengers. Marvel's Avengers is like, let's release a Black Widow skin based on Infinity War. Because that makes sense. <laughs> And then didn't they release Hawkeye-themed Spider-Man skins as well? Yes, they did that too. I'm, I, it drives me crazy. I'm like, do, do they literally have no fans of Marvel on the team? Like, did they literally, were, when they were hiring, were, did they ask, like, uh, was there a question that said, do you like Marvel? And all the people that said yes immediately were not qualified for the job? Because... I don't understand the decision-making process with this game. It drives me absolutely nuts. I don't get it either, which is why I'm not going to play the game. You you should play it, though, still. <laughs> no, no, I think I'm good. On Xbox Game Pass, it's free, kind of. Part yeah, of Game Pass. I also have Halo Infinite on Xbox Game Pass. I could just keep playing that, which I'm probably going to do. Yeah, well, he, won't well, even, he won't even play Jedi Fallen Order, and that's on Game Pass. Oh, my God. Okay, well... That's... Well, I didn't want to play that a couple years ago just because I had never played a game that had good lightsaber combat. So that's what made me avoid it. It has fantastic lightsaber combat. Have you played Bloodborne, yeah. Dark Souls? No, no, no. Okay, well, play. First of all, those are excellent games as well. Uh, but it's really a really wonderful, wonderful Star Wars game. I cannot wait for the sequel. If my backlog clears up, then I'll play it. But that that probably won't be for a while. You You just said after Psychonauts, you don't know what you're going to play. There, Jedi Fallen Order, problem solved. It depends on when I actually get to Psychonauts. That's the problem. Oh. Isn't it a short game? It's probably only like six to eight hours. I, th I think it? I'm like three quarters of the way through it. It's like 15 to 20. Oh my goodness. Holy. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But every time I play it, like I really enjoy it, but I can only play like an hour of that game and then I go do something else. Like it's great, but I can't binge it. Which is totally fair. Um, I guess I've been playing Avengers. I played Apex again. I've been, you know, playing some Apex here and there with that new. Back on your bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's a good, it's a good mode. Okay, arenas and that train mode are good. It's Winter it's Express. Yeah, it's hill. fun. 
yeah winter express is like king of the hill but on a train and it's fun i've been enjoying it i like it a lot i think it's a really fun mode yeah we played that together so yeah we did yeah that's a really really fun um, my my weekly apex session i've i've literally been fully converted with apex i used to hate the game when it was battle royale maybe hates too strong of a word just did not enjoy it whatsoever i was like this is dumb i'd rather either play overwatch or uh warzone because they do what apex tries to do better individually and um then i played arenas and that converted me because i was like this is such a fun quick uh, mode that's really really enjoyable and a ton of fun and then after that now playing winter express yet another mode that i'm like you know what apex is like my go-to first person multiplayer game now it's not mine no yours is halo i, gu- is I it? guess it is yeah I, yeah uh, i would cur- say so I, I haven't played i haven't played that many multiplayer games this year my friends and i used to play pretty much every night we would play siege or overwatch or PUBG. that's our battle royale game of choice even to this day when we want to play something it's PUBG usually mobile or pc uh xbox oh okay yeah specific. um okay. there's another multiplayer game that we oh uh, rocket league uh, those are like the four that we would always play. Please, and let's then not we talk all got... about Rocket League. Please, sorry. <laughs> oh, played... Nick doesn't know about. No, Max's we're not Rocket talking League about Rocket League. We're not going to talk not... about it on the okay. air, dude. Something's uh, going to happen. Okay. I'm warning you, because like literally, the podcast file will corrupt. I'm telling you, I, me and Rocket <laughs> okay. League, we cannot like it. it literally, l- let's move on. <laughs> I've been playing the game for six years, and I'm still not good. Yeah. Uh, I like Rocket League still, so that's Oh, I love plus. it. I'm just terrible. No, yeah, they're like pretty much like all the games that you listed. I still love, like I still love Overwatch. I don't play it anymore because you know Activision Blizzard can go yeah. suck, suck it. You know um, they can go suck, suck it. You heard it here first. Suck, they can suck go it. Suck, suck it. Twice. <laughs> um, Rocket League, I don't play super often, but when I do, I always have a good time. Me but uh, I guess like. Other multiplayer games that I play, Stardew Valley. I play that with the boys. Oh, we have Nick, to play that. Now that, it, now that it's on yeah. Game Pass, we're going to play Maybe that. Maybe that's what happens after Psychonauts, is you and I do some Stardew. Yeah. Um, but Stardew Valley is good. Um, Satisfactory is another one that I play with friends a lot, which is essentially you're dumped into this island, and you're trying to build factories to manufacture, you know, iron plates. Then, like, you go from there to start forming wires and all these other things, and you're trying to create an automation system. Um, I think it's to get back to the moon. I'm not entirely sure, but I know that there's a ship that you're trying to like power on and you have this giant tower. Um, so that's a fun, it's a survival horror, not horror game. It's a survival game. So that's mm-hmm. always fun to play with friends. Um, but outside of that, that's pretty much all that I play with friends. Borderlands every now and then. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's all that I've been playing. Okay, I if we want to shift from gaming, I have one thing that I that I want to ask you guys based on something I've been seeing in our, in our Wangers Discord server, Manny. How do you guys feel about pizza? Oh, I love pizza. Max also. Yeah, loves pizza's pizza. good, yeah. right? Yes, yeah, pizza's great. What kind of our good it? friend JB uh, in our Discord? JB, I love you. You love Lord of the Rings, so I love you. Uh, but he said pizza is mid because I said pizza was one of the greatest things in the world, and I can't let that slander stand. So I'm going to call you out right here on the air. Pizza is one of the greatest things in this entire world, and you calling it mid is one of the greatest insults that I've ever heard. Yeah, that's I will a ridiculous. Not stand for it. You should not trust any people that question it. Those, yeah. no, those, no, those are the kind be... of people that you have to put on like a, a list and just make sure, like keep an eye on them. Yeah. Um, speaking about things and food in specific, Max, how do you feel about bagels? 
Okay, well, first of all, uh, I don't eat uh, bread. So because of that, not to sound pretentious, I sound so California right now. Like, yeah, oh my do. goodness, I don't eat gluten. You sound bougie as hell, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, but I don't eat bread. So because of that, I haven't had like proper bagels in a while, but I used to love there's a chain of bagel spots called What a Bagel here, and I would always go there and get um, either the tuna uh, sandwich or like tuna salad on the bagel. Um, I'd get egg salad. That's fire. They made like a breakfast bagel with like a sausage and the egg, kind of like the I guess like the McDonald's version, sort of. Mm-hmm. But bagels are fantastic. Probably the best form of bread is a bagel. Okay. Ooh, really over garlic bread? You like? You, I mean, you love I like garlic, garlic bread, Max. So <laughs> I do love garlic bread. You do love garlic bread. Um, Nick has never had a bagel. What kind of a mad person are you, dude? I've got many flaws. Okay. But like, why? Why have you not had a bagel, bro? I just haven't. My parents have had them around the house. Now you're nice, are you one of those people that just doesn't like foods with holes in it? You have like a thing? No, I love donuts. I'm a big okay. donut fan. Bro, so you basically um, had a bagel. You just had the sweet version of a bagel. Yeah. So I, if it's unsweet, I don't know how much I would enjoy a bagel. You. Okay, but hold up. Have you had a muffin? Yeah, chocolate chip muffin. Mostly. No, That's no, no, one no. no. Like an English enjoy. muffin. No, I don't know if I've actually had one. You've never had like a McDonald's breakfast sandwich? I haven't had the McMuffin. I've gotten other stuff on their menu. Oh, my goodness. This is bizarre, man. There's some stuff that I just kind of avoided for whatever reason, like bagels. I smelled I smelled one that my parents made one time, and I'm like, I don't like that smell. And so that's kind of ended up being me 20 years later having never had a bagel. Sounds like a plot for a movie. <laughs> Somebody making the re- their way to New York City to try a proper New York City bagel. It's Or it's like Woody Harrelson in Zombieland. I'm on a, on a, on a chase yeah, to get the, the last Twinkie, bagel yeah. in the country. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, well, we have plans to WangerCon, our uh, big gathering next June of people on our Discord server. Uh, I'm, I'm apparently supposed to wait until WangerCon so everybody can witness me eating my first bagel in person. So I nice. guess that's what's going to happen. Now, you have to also, when you try a bagel, very important mm-hmm. that you try a multitude of bagels. Like, that you, can have, you can have a plain bagel. That's where you should start because that's like your mm-hmm. that's your baseline. You know, that's the foundation of the bagel world is you start with a plain bagel. Then you work your mm-hmm. way up with the sesame bagel, right? Then you do the poppy bagel because that one's a little bit more edgy because if you eat enough of them, I think you can actually test on a drug test. Like it, you might pop, okay. so be careful. Yeah. And then you do the everything bagel, which that one is wild because they put everything. They had like uh, sesames, poppy seeds, kosher salt, and I think they put onion powder on that as well or onion flakes. And that okay. one is like that. That's the you know only for the experience. Like if we're talking about video game difficulties, that's the new game plus of bagels. Okay. So you can only dive into that once you've you've gone through the other three modes. You know, so don't skip yeah. to the everything bagel right away. So just tread lightly there. And then after that, you can go wild with a whole bunch of other crazy ones where they put like raisins in them and all that. But that's too exotic for me. I stop at the mm. everything bagel. Yeah, so on the Halo playthrough scale, I gotta do a bunch of normal walkthrough uh, playthroughs before I start trying to beat it on Legendary. For sure, yeah. You you don't okay. want to skip ahead. It's gonna be overwhelming, you know. So okay, yeah. On the 
just hearing you describe that everything bagel it doesn't sound like it's for me with all those ingredients but i if if i don't hate bagels when i try them i'm willing to give that a shot yeah work your way up but so i'm incredibly picky like really picky that's that's the story I've of my life i've picked up on that already <laughs> <laughs> i've picked up on the specific preferences for things but oh yeah. i did i didn't mention in the pizza chat i'll pretty much only eat pizza with meat on it like i can't put veggies on it and i, I won't eat cheese pizza for the most part i've got to have like pepperoni and or sausage nick pizza with corn your thoughts is that a thing i've never had that that is indeed a thing it's that an a arizona thing, thing. Oh, okay. no not it's just a, an arizona thing what, where'd you have it max israel israel it's like literally one of the most popular toppings but when i arrived in canada the very first time that we ordered a pizza i called in and i was like corn and the uh operator was like what and i was like corn <laughs> i literally looked up on google i was like am i saying it wrong because i still like didn't speak english very well and so I Googled it. I'm like, am I not explaining like corn correctly? I'm like, corn, C-O-R-N. And he's like, we don't do that. That's like not a thing. <laughs> and I was like, we don't do that here. Yeah. I'm like, do you not do that? Or like in general, Canada doesn't do that. And he was like, no, Canada doesn't do that. I've never heard of anyone eat corn on pizza, mm. but it's really, really good. So I'm surprised that they don't do corn as a top as a topping here. Very weird. Corn on pizza is something that I would actually try. Like that sounds like not bad because I like corn in general. So I think yeah, I would like fine. corn on, on like a lot of things. There was something recently where I was like, oh, this has, oh, rice and corn. That's another thing that like I eat mm. a lot is rice, but they have some corn in there. So that's always good. So I think pizza with corn would actually be good. Sorry. I like that you just explained what rice and corn was as if that, uh, that descriptor was not enough. Yeah. It's kind of in the name. Like if, if somebody asks you what's rice and corn, you're like, oh, well, it's, it's rice. rice, but also some corn. Yeah, it's in. The, I am in the once title. again being attacked for, <laughs> for describing rice and corn. Yeah, but you're, you're trying to explain to us like the most fundamentally basic thing. It's like trying to explain peas and carrots. You're like, well, you got some peas and also some carrots. It's like, no way. Listen. Oh, there I go. I said it, Nick. Listen. <laughs> yeah. I've made him conscious of the fact that he says listen all the time when he's about to get defensive. We all have that. Trust me. We if all you, that. As you guys okay. record more often, you'll pick up on certain tendencies that you have. The biggest yeah. ones when I started making content would be the ums and ums and like. But as you get better at being able to articulate yourself and you're more confident and things like that, you're able to mm -hmm. get rid of those and you're able to just have pauses where you, instead of making the sound of um, you just pause and give yourself a little bit of time to think and formulate your next thought. But in general, as you produce a lot of content, which I hope you guys will continue to do, you will definitely notice you yourself or your audience and fans will point out to you that you have certain tendencies and then once you take notice of that, it's going to annoy the heck out of you. Like you're just going to the entire time be trying to work on it and start editing yourself, even in your real life. Yeah. As the editor, I, I like I take out all the ums and ohs that we do along the way. And there's a lot of them and from both of us. So I'm not just calling Manny out there. That happens a lot. The thing that I hate about myself is that I say for the most part a lot when I'm talking about something, because usually my opinion isn't so binary that I just think something's perfect. So I, I use that as like a disclaimer. I say for the most part, this is really good if I've got like a couple issues. But I notice I say that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But it, that's also probably as a result of the fact that nowadays, if you speak in 
absolute, people will immediately yeah. attach to it and go like, well, you said that it's always like this. And it's like, well, I was just, it's just the way I was speaking. I don't literally mean that it's always like this, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, I guess, something that you have to be more aware of nowadays yeah. than you. Yeah, it's, it's like a disclaimer that I'm, 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 I need to keep using, but I should get like a thesaurus and try and find different ways to say the same thing, just so it doesn't, just so I'm not saying the exact same thing over and over again. You could, uh, you could borrow one of my crutch terms, which is at the end of the day, I say that a lot. I, I, I don't think that's one that I usually say in everyday conversation. You will now. I've, okay. planted, I've you, planted that seed. That's it. You've now changed you my life. That's right. I'm known to do that. Dang. Oh, I had one more. I had one more pizza question before I moved on. Okay. Okay. Pineapple on pizza. Yay or nay? Manny, go ahead. I'm a nay person. Like a horse. I say nay. Jesus okay. Christ. That's so that was bad. a good one. That was a good one. Dude. <laughs> that I'm so keeping bad. that. I'm keeping that in. I could cut out that second sentence where you do the nay, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I think you should actually loop it. That's what I think. Yeah. I, I that think, should be the rest of the episode. In fact, I think that should be put on a soundboard that you use <laughs> from now on. Oh, we, when you need we to talk say about nay. soundboards all the time. We're always like, that's a soundbite. Yep. Yeah, you should use that. I'm actually a yay, kind of, though, because it's very, it's got to be on, um, it has to be like fresh pineapple and it has to be, because when they use like the canned pineapple, it gets super soggy and gross yep. and it like literally ruins the texture of the pizza and it can't be thick crust pizza because if it's the thick crust with the slimy pineapple, it's just disgusting because it, it literally is like snot on pizza or something. Like, it's just gross. But if it's thin crust pizza and it's fresh pineapple, it actually does like one of the most popular topic combinations in Canada is called Hawaiian pizza, which is basically mm -hmm. ham and pineapple along with sometimes they add sausage as well. And it's really, really terrific from certain locations. So... Yeah. Um, I actually would say yay, but very specific condition. Yeah, we generally like I know some places around here, at least they do Hawaiian pizza. And that's what I was going to say. My issue with I I'm, I like pineapple on pizza fine. And I'll but I'll never like order it if I have the choice, because I don't love Canadian bacon. We call it here when we should just call it ham. I don't love ham on pizza. Uh, so that's usually what's with with the pineapple on the pizza when when you order it from someplace. So that's actually my deterrent more than the pineapple is. I don't mind the pineapple at all. But again, because of that, it's not something that I'll ever choose to order. But if it's available at a party, I'll absolutely eat it. That's kind of my middle of the road stance. I'll never be mad about having to eat pizza unless, unless Supreme is the only option. Then I'll be mad because it's vegetables and you you vegetables. I just discovered speaking of vegetables literally two weeks ago discovered. Have you ever eaten parsnips? No, I've had parsnips and uh, I made them. I cooked them like um, you would like fries. Mm -hmm. it's terrific and it's like way healthier for you than potatoes it was legit no cap no cap eat eat delicious i'll put it on the list of things that i will say that i'll eat and then i never will put okay. that sound bite on the list too yeah <laughs> <laughs> what the yeet yeet, yeet, the yeet no, no cap, cap no cap <laughs> yeet, no cap yeet yeet <laughs> yeah for sure that's another good sound bite uh remember when we were talking about video games yeah yeah, yeah. and then but i then brought up pizza JB, this is all this is all your fault. This is indeed JB's fault. Well, I think we were done with video games. All three of us were saying, well, we actually haven't been playing that much. Yeah, unless Max wants to talk about games that he's been playing. He just finished Tsushima, the expansion for that. So I don't know if you wanted to talk oh. about that. I mean, that's an all-time great game. If you've never played it, do yourself a favor. Play Ghost of Tsushima. It's 
it, honestly, like, it might be the most beautiful visually, like the most beautiful game I've ever played. There's just, I've never had a game where I'm on so many occasions. If you watch Cheap Plug, uh, my streams for it uh, on the Family Potion channel, there's so many times where I literally stop the stream and just pause, go into photo mode and just enjoy the way that the game looks. It's it's just an absolutely masterful, masterful example of what video games can be. Cannot wait to see what Sucker Punch puts together uh, for the sequel. A wonderful, very simple story, but one that has its moments of nuance. A great arc that I typically like in video games where you go from someone who's relatively weak, but then by the end of the game, you're an absolute just monster. And it's just a really, really fun, excellent experience all around from music to visually to gameplay uh, to story. There really is nothing about it that I would say is like a crutch or something that's weak. Uh, and then the only other thing that I would uh, like to bring up, because again, I play Marvel Avengers, Fortnite, a bunch of other stuff, but I want to ask both of you, have you either played or watched the Matrix Awakens next-gen experience. I played it. And? I knew it was only going to be like five to ten minutes, but I was actually still kind of disappointed at how little was there. Like, mm -hmm. not that I expected much. As far I, as the I experience, wished... right? Because you can then keep playing, like, just exploring the yeah. city. Yeah, I, and I got bored of exploring and taking pictures within, like, two minutes, and then I <laughs> uninstalled it. I, I'd seen what I needed to see. Um, it was interesting. It was more cutscene than game, which I was a little disappointed in. Agreed. Um, the on rails gameplay was like fine for what it was. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping for a blow away experience, especially because we haven't had that many games just made for next gen yet. Um, and like the facial technology is interesting. I don't think it's quite there. Like I could, pre I could pretty much tell when they transitioned to the, the in game faces. Um, it still looks good on by video game standards, but it wasn't like a blow away experience. Like I was hoping it would be. Uh, Manny, I'm assuming probably you would echo those points since you said you only watched a little bit of it yeah i watched a little bit of it i mean like it looked good and all the photos and stuff that i've seen have looked really good so i'm excited for what the engine can do um i'm really looking forward to seeing how forespoken comes out because that's the first game to use unreal engine 5 completely so i'm interested with this tech demo to see what they can do next i was blown away as far as the attention to detail, like the stuff that this, I agree with you, by the way, as far as the faces are concerned, it's very, I don't know what it is. It's clear that maybe it's the hair, it's the eyes. There's just something like, I feel like the skin and it's the lips, by the way, maybe the a lips. Lot, a I lot don't of know. people have I, said that the lips, the way that people animate lips is that they'll animate the top lip going up when the top lip mm -hmm. doesn't move at all. So it's still it the mouth area that has work to do. Uh, that I they agree. Have to work like, on. but you know what I will say that just completely blew me away was that the entire experience and playing afterwards, but also like particularly like the, the moments of action, it felt indistinguishable to CGI in big budget films. And that's the thing that like clicked for me where I was like, because in video games, I feel like there's always still, it felt very video game, you mm -hmm. know? Whereas, like, here, I literally felt like I was watching a Matrix movie, as far as the action is concerned. And 
that blew me away just because I started thinking about the possibility of how much more of film and games will now be even more blurred and we will get even closer to the idea of like where you could probably just build the movie entirely inside of Unreal Engine and the little things that they show, like, I don't know if you got to the credits where you could cycle through and see how everything is like working in terms of like the little polygons and things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was phenomenal because you could see how it was all working and communicating with each other. And the idea that all these uh, components and these systems are all going to be pre-built like inside of shops and the fact that um, developers will be able to buy this for relatively affordable amounts and like, create much more complex and like real looking worlds it's just so freaking exciting to me about the ideas of like i've brought this up a lot of times my game of the year for this year is probably kana uh bridge of spirits i don't know if you've had a chance to play that game but no i just find it incredible that that's what a small team can do now because back in the day like if you wanted a, a game that looked great or like looked big in terms of like scope and what it does. Um, it always was basically relegated to the big publishers. Like no indie team could afford to do a game at scale like that. And this matrix awakens demo just has me so excited about the possibility of what having access to this kind of tech for smaller movie makers. Like imagine the fact that you could like literally create a movie inside of unreal engine five if you sit there and learn how to work with the engine itself, like you don't need mm -hmm. actors and actresses. Like you need voice actors. You need people to voice act, but you'll be able to do it all digitally now, which is insane. It was an effective preview of like what's to come. I just, you know, it's been a year of the new consoles and we've still had pretty much all games that were also made for last gen. So they were held back a little bit in terms of what they could be. I I'm at the point where now where I'm getting impatient. I just want that point to be here and I'm getting a little annoyed that it's not here yet, at least yeah. not, not I, I, in the full game. I know yeah. Forspoken's only a few months away, but it's like I'm very ready for that to happen because i've seen some games that look great like even psychonauts 2 like the obviously art style is kind of the big thing with that game but even details like how clear the the hat that on raz's hat that you wear on raz's head that you wear throughout the game like it looks incredible and just little things like that are what i've enjoyed most about next gen but i want the entire experience to be like that and yeah. i'm very ready for that i agree i agree with it but at the same time i'm always reminded that the biggest issue right now is that all the people who even want to experience next gen can't because of all the supply chain shortages. And so then I do feel kind of like, okay, you know what, like this transition uh, because of, you know, COVID and all this stuff going on, I understand why almost like studios maybe even have to make the game cross gen because there's just no way to like scale up a title right now. Right. Because, mm -hmm the people who want to experience next gen, like who literally might have in their hands $500 to spend on a console. They can't find one. So I agree with you though, because as somebody selfishly who owns the consoles, I do want yeah. to see like the first experience where I look at it and I say to myself, like, wow, like look at what they managed to do. Like again, to circle back to Tsushima, like imagine what that team could do if they have the full power of the ps5 and they like build just for the ps5 i think it could uh -huh. be an amazing experience so we'll see hopefully Forspoken will be that first 
kind of like wow moment where we were all completely blown away. But regardless, I would definitely suggest for all your listeners to, if you have the chance, just go watch the Matrix Awakens because it's a really freaking cool window, like you said, into the future of both gaming and I think cinema as well. Because I think we will see a lot of movies start to utilize Unreal Engine as I think it will be a much cheaper way to do CGI instead of like making everything completely custom. And the thing that's Mm going to be super cool about this is that because it's all AI and because it's all uh, an all learning AI, it will continue to get better the more people use it. And so the people within these worlds are going to learn how to be better. The cars, the passengers, the pedestrians, like everything will continue to get better the more it's utilized in more games. So I'm just so, so excited about like the little glimpse that we get with it. I'm with you. I'm, I enjoy like the qual- the quality of life improvements are pretty much, at least currently on the new consoles, is kind of what you have to enjoy the most. Like the quicker loading for Xbox, the quick resume feature is amazing. And most of the games do look really nice, but I'm, like I said, I'm just, I'm really ready. Can't relate. I know. Hey, me getting that Series X on, on the first day it went on sale was the one of the most difficult experiences of my life. Oh, no. I mean, I've walked into Walmarts and I've seen Series S's there and I'm like, yeah, I've seen hmm, Series S's there. there. You go. No one wants them, <laughs> which is really weird to me, because if you asked me like which one would be harder to get, I, re- I genuinely thought that we were at that point because I'm one of those weird boomer dinosaur people who like still likes owning the physical disc. But I feel like there's less and less people like me. And so. I honestly thought for sure the Series X would be the one that's easier to get because I was like, it, how many people care about the disk drive? Like most people probably don't care about that stuff. They buy their games digitally, but it, it's been the other way around. So I think the other thing with that to like combat that is that it's not a PS5, PS5 digital situation where it's the same console. A Series S is not as powerful as a Series X. So I feel like that might also be a thing of like people are being like, well, I don't really want to, you know, lose a, a disc drive and then B have lower performing games. So I feel like that might also have is something it? to do with it. I thought it, it was only it uh, no, storage no, no, no. capacity. No, no, no. Uh, the graphics card isn't as good as it is on the Series X. Um, oh, so well, it, that it's made to it. run games at 1080 and 1440p. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. With the enhancements of like a Series X, but at a lower resolution. So that's also another know that. thing of it. That's why it's $200 cheaper versus that the PS5 it. digital, which is only $100 cheaper. That explains it. Okay. Yeah. But video games, folks. Um, video games, folks. Yep. While we're, you know, let's start talking about some movies and stuff that we've been watching. Nick, we did a full blowout this last week. Boy, did we. We watched Iron Man 1, Far From Home, and then the three Raimi films. Um, we had ourselves a spider week, to say the least. We did. Which, if you want to hear our thoughts on all of those films, you can go listen to our commentaries that we did for them, which are available on the audio and on the YouTube as well. So go listen to those. Check them out. We had a blast. Yes. What was did. your favorite one out of those? Iron Man, Iron Man I hope. Iron Man. Okay. Iron Man. Probably. Good. That's probably our best commentary. Yeah. Although it, Spider-Man 2 is my favorite movie of all those. No, I like Iron Man 1 better. Um, okay. But it was it was just, you know, a fun time watching that movie again, which I know that you love that movie, Max. Um, oh, yeah, it's my but favorite MCU I do movie. too. Yeah, we pretty much started the commentaries just so we could get to Iron Man 2, which I'm very <laughs> excited to get to. We have to eat our vegetables and get through Incredible Hulk at By some the way, point before we can guys, do Iron Man 2. Have you guys, sorry to interrupt, have you guys noticed how everyone's coming around on Iron Man 3 lately? 
Like, Which is I've seen it, yeah. Because I've I like Iron Man I've literally seen 3. people, like, now people are like, yo, I went back and watched Iron Man 3, and it's actually a good movie. I'm like, exactly. I've been telling you this for years. It's an excellent movie. Like, people just got so triggered by the twist with Mandarin that they just completely, like, stopped caring and did not, like, actually remember how good the movie was. If you go back, do yourself a favor, go back and watch it. I have a much tougher time defending Iron Man 2, although I still really, really like Iron Man 2 because of just the little things that they do. And there's so many little memorable moments in that movie. It's not a great movie. I agree. But um, Iron Man 3 is like, cr used to be criminally underrated, but now people are coming around. I appreciate it. I'm like, let's go. I liked Iron Man 3 fine. The twist wasn't really my issue with it. Like, I was like, yeah, do whatever. My issue was that the villain we had instead, I thought was kind of shit. And I'm curious how I feel about about Killian and the rest of the people with him when we eventually do the commentary. But I didn't care for the actual villains that we had after the twist. So that was my main issue. Hmm. It was much more interesting up until that twist because the potential of what that Mandarin was was interesting to me. And then they did throw that away ultimately, which which bugged me. And I'm curious how I feel. I agree with you. I think I agree with you uh, as far as like because um, um, Ben Kingsley was just so good. Right. But mm -hmm. interestingly enough, it's almost like what uh, Shang-Chi did, making fun of it, right? Kind of like saying, oh, just using the classical M Middle Eastern terrorist plot and everybody freaks out and it's an easy target and it's, you know, America versus terrorism, yay. Um, and so I, in hindsight even, I think it's, it's a very clever twist to make it a much more petty thing. It, it's your typical very black and white bad guy for sure in Killian. But I think that it's almost like it, you being a pro wrestling fan, I think that wrestling usually works best when it keeps things simple as far as mm -hmm. villain and hero. And I think the same applies to superhero stories. You need to be able to clearly articulate who the bad guy is and why they're the bad guy. And then here's the good guy. And I think that because of that, Killian works wonderfully because he is cookie cutter as a bad guy, somebody who is embarrassed and somebody who is seeking to revalidate himself through these actions. So um, I, I think that it actually um, worked as a great narrative for a villain within the context of superhero stories. Yeah, his his whole story, like obviously people make fun of it because it's like syndrome and the Incredibles. It's it's kind of a been there, done that in terms of his setup and all that. And I just don't. Just whatever whatever it is about that character, especially in the second half of the movie, just just didn't work for me. The rest of it, I remember really liking all the PTSD stuff and his relationship with the kid. I remember liking all that stuff. So I'm curious. Again, we're going to go back to it fairly soon, hopefully, and as long as we can keep doing these commentaries consistently. Um, so I'm curious how I feel, because that's one that I haven't seen in quite a while. Mick, is Iron Man 3 a Christmas movie? No. Yes. What do you mean, no? Of course it's a Christmas movie. It's literally to me, set okay. during Christmas. To me, it... it it's just the mere setting during Christmas isn't enough. I think Christmas has to play a role in the plot of the movie, which is why I'll argue for Die Hard to be a Christmas movie, because Christmas is the entire reason that he's in Los Angeles and that he's at the Nakatoma Plaza. So that's a Christmas party. So that's the whole reason for the movie happening is that it's a Christmas. Iron Man 3 could be set any other time of year and the plot of the movie would be no different. I guess. Yeah. It, 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 as, if that's your definition for what makes that's my Christmas criteria. Movie, yes. Then, of course, um, I would have to agree on that basis. Uh, to me, I, I, I guess just the setting of it being during Christmas time makes it a Christmas movie. Nick, you've seen some movies in the last week that we've talked to each other. Tell us about them. 
have I? You saw Nightmare Alley. Oh, I did. Okay, I was like, we did all all the ones that I've watched have been us watching them together. No, you saw Nightmare um, Alley. Yeah, I saw Nightmare Alley. I was one of the two people this weekend to see Nightmare Alley in the movie theater. Um, it's very very sad what's happening to all those Searchlight movies right now. Uh, Del Toro movies I've seen before, I've liked, but I haven't loved any of them. And I wouldn't quite say that I love this one, but this is really good stuff. Like, I think my Manny made fun of my Letterboxd review, but I did say it's like, it's just nice to see a movie that looks and feels like a movie. Like, all the sets look great. The production design's incredible. You've got a bunch of really skilled actors in there all doing great work. It feels old-fashioned. It's obvious, It's trying to be kind of a film noir, kind of a little, little bit of a horror movie. And I, I think Bradley Cooper, it might be my favorite Bradley Cooper performance. And I think everyone just does great work top to bottom. And I was engaged in it from start to finish. It's a long movie. Um, I make jokes about liking movies that are a tight 90 minutes. This one was a tight 150, but it never lost me. And the pacing, I thought, was it went by really quick. Um, it's kind of a tale of two movies. The first half of the movie and the second half are very different, but I think they ultimately work together really well. And it's got a great ending like i really like how things end up in this movie so that's my the biggest endorsement i can give to any del toro movie that i've seen so far so uh if nightmare alley is somehow still playing at, at your theater by the time this uh episode drops then i would say go see it i thought about watching it yesterday um mm-hmm. when i went to go see spider-man again yes i saw it twice um i thought about doing a double feature of watching nightmare alley and that because i saw a couple other things this week but um I didn't, to say the least. Then you didn't. And then I didn't. Um, but I might see it this week. I think I'm trying to see Come On, Come On tomorrow. And then I might go oh, yeah. see The Novice, which is the one that you recommend. It's your favorite of the yeah. year. I might oh, is go... it playing near you? Yeah, yeah. It's, play- it's, play- it's playing near me all week. Fucking Kansas City. I hate Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no place like home. Yeah, but there's no place that's playing The Novice. And that's a more pressing concern to me. Well, just click your red shoes together maybe you'll teleport to arizona i'd be fine with that i could meet manny for lunch or something yeah there yeah come be with the coastal elites come join us <laughs> um yeah. yeah i think i might have to buy it digitally which i feel icky doing because i'm a big blu-ray collector but hey. i don't see it. i don't see that movie being uh getting a physical release or anything i don't think it's going to get the traction it needs for that or for like a criterion release it will. or anything what do you mean of course it will are you talking about uh, nightmare alley or this other movie no the novice oh the novice okay yeah, I've never Nightmare Alley will get a Blu-ray release. Yeah, Nightmare Alley for sure, because it's Guillermo del Toro. When was the last time he made something that didn't get? Oh, I'm sure everything he's made has gotten one. Yeah, yeah, I, I love Guillermo del Toro. Like, I'm more of a, I guess, surface level fan of his stuff. Like, more like Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy, which I love those movies. I still wish he would have got to make that third one. I really love Pacific Rim. I think he's one of the most. I love seeing people that love what they do even when it's something where i don't maybe love the project itself i think he's one of the most passionate people in the film industry i think when you listen to him on any of his commentaries if you listen to him Mm -hmm. on his special features for hellboy and everything the amount of care and love that he puts into the most minute things the things that we as audience members not that we're not meant to notice but you literally don't notice but he does it's phenomenal and that type of passion is just something that I always love and support uh, and love seeing people that can pursue the thing that they love to the fullest extent. And that's why, like, he's one of those people that anytime he's attached to something that I care about, like, I didn't watch The Shape of Water because I just, again, 
it's it, it is what it is and you hate fish yes i hate seafood <laughs> um and um we have that in common i but hellboy like when he was attached to that i was over the moon and both of those movies i really really love they're flawed they have their problems but i just think he's just such a phenomenal phenomenal director and somebody who Anytime his name is attached to anything that I even remotely care about, I get so giddy and excited and all the rumors swirling over him doing this Justice League Dark project. If that ever somehow manifests itself and happens, I'm sure he's going to knock it out of the park. Yeah, he's always been someone that I've thought was pretty good. Like the movies I've seen, I've seen Hellboy, which I thought was pretty good. Ship of Water, I thought was pretty good. Pan's Labyrinth, I actually thought was really good. That's probably my favorite before Nightmare Alley. Um, and there was one other that I had seen that I can't remember right now. Um yeah, like he's always someone that I've liked, but this is the most I've liked any of his movies, at least on first viewing. I would, again, strongly recommend this because it seems like it only made like six million in the U.S. this weekend. It won't be in theaters too long. If you want to see it, now is the time to see it. Keep in mind, this guy also made Blade 2, which was phenomenal. I haven't seen the Blade movies. Oh my God, what are you doing, bro? Okay, skip three. Watching it other sucks. movies, bro. It sucks, but you got to watch Blade 1 and 2. Especially, like those two are phenomenal. Wesley Snipes, it's going to be tough for them to uh, take it up a notch because th those movies are exceptional and they don't get the credit that they deserve in the history books in terms of like, that was one of the first times that a comic book was adapted into a movie and it was adapted so well that I, mm -hmm. that's when they started doing it a lot more often. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I'm at least going to watch Blade Trinity for that sweet Triple H appearance in there. Yes. And Ryan Reynolds playing <laughs> and Ryan basically Reynolds. dead deadpool because if you watch that it's literally like I, I swear as soon as he was attached to any type of comic book movie he's always just played deadpool <laughs> Dude, i mean he like, did he did say like that that's his shtick and everything now he did say that blade trinity was his audition to play deadpool that he mm -hmm. that he was playing his character in trinity to like show like hey i want to be deadpool this is the character that i really want to play and then he had X i did not know Wolverine. that but yeah, you, you if you watch it, you, you can tell he's very Deadpool-y in that. Let's see. Outside of those Spider-Man films um, and Iron Man, um, I watched... What did I watch this week? I watched Encanto. I saw that today. With, oh, you did? I saw that today with my mom. It's the latest... Mm -hmm. it, latest? It's the latest uh, LMM joint, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, he did all of the music for it. It's a Disney film about a magical house and it's essentially the X-Men of Columbia. Um, they all have these different gifts that they use to help out the community. Like one of them is super strong. Another one can hear like really well. And we follow our main character who doesn't have any powers and some stuff is happening with their house and they're trying to figure it out and see what's going on. Um, it's another film from Disney that I've enjoyed. Um, I loved Coco, which was the last one and that, well, not the last one, but that one was set in Mexico. That was a great film. I absolutely adore that film. I think that's my favorite Pixar film. It's between that and Incredibles, but I love Coco and Encanto. I really like, I think I don't, I don't know if it's better than Moana, which you haven't seen Nick. So fuck you. Nope. Um, mm -hmm. um, Moana is incredible. I don't know if this beats it for me, but I still really enjoyed it. I don't think a lot of the songs are going to be stuck in my head, like with Moana, per se. 
but I think it's an overall better story. And I just like stories about families and especially like Hispanic families. Like that's just something that I love seeing. So I, I recommend Encanto. It's going to be on Disney Plus this Friday. So I think everyone should go watch it. Did you say you like stories about family? Yeah. We're not talking that's about why he loves Fast and Furious. Oh. <laughs> he hates too, the but... fast movies, bro. Pisses me off because those are cinema. Listen, All nine of them. Bro, you have to you have to respect the movies. Like, come on, bro. It's like Imagine Dragons and uh, Fast and Furious, bro. Speaking of Imagine Dragons, I've been watching oh, Hawkeye. You know, Nick's oh. favorite topic is me talking about Hawkeye. Um, Should I get up and go let my dog out now? Yeah, go ahead. Um, <laughs> this week. Well, we're going to go into spoilers real quickly because I want to, you know, talk a little bit about what happened this week. Um, spoilers for Hawkeye. Um, we finally saw Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin. And I'm very, 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 very excited to see how they're going to use him going forward in the MCU. I think since episode three, I've been saying that Vinny D was going to be in this show. Mainly because we saw his meaty palms and we saw him laugh. We didn't see him physically, but... We saw his hand, and then he let out a chuckle. And so pretty much everyone has been saying since episode three, Vinny D is coming. And boy, did he. So did I. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, I love Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin. I think Daredevil is three seasons of a masterpiece. I love every episode. Not every episode, but I love so much of that show. I think season three is perfection and um, it's fantastic. And I'm glad that they're bringing him back and not just replacing him or bringing Kingpin back and not doing the same thing. It is curious. We're going to see how they're going to bring in, uh, if they're going to bring in any of the elements from Daredevil or see like how much they're going to take from that and keep it the same as it was in there because Daredevil is a very brutal show a lot of the time. I was watching some clips back and I was like, geez, this was intense. Um, but I am very excited to see what they do with this last episode. If we end up getting a second season and they just say, hey, season two of Avengers is coming, or of, an Avenge of Avengers, of Hawkeye is coming, or maybe they say West Coast Avengers is going to start happening. There's a lot of the rumors about Young Avengers, and a lot of that centers around, you know, Hawkeye being a leader for those teams. So that's why I'm mentioning those ones in specific. But I'm very excited to see the season finale this week. And then I don't know if Max or, you know, Nick have anything to say about Hawkeye. I have nothing to say about Hawkeye. It's cool that he's back. Uh, what's his favorite baseball team, Manny? The Mets, baby. Love the Mets. Let's go Mets. Absolutely. The, the Mets, Mets are the best. <laughs> the yeah. Mets are the best. The Mets are absolutely legendary. I'm excited. I, I still think, again, I'm of the mind that episode three was the best. They have not been able to match that quality yet uh but my only concern about hawkeye is again this is something you and me have talked about uh i guess off recordings uh manny uh where there's so much there's still so much to happen that i just worry a little bit that like how are they going to unwind everything in one episode um or maybe we get an announcement of a second season and therefore we don't have to worry about them having to explain everything and like coming to a conclusion. So other than that, I enjoy the show. It's really fun. It's a great um, show that has a lot of, uh, it's a really fun, like almost like popcorn show where it's like you watch it and it seems very mindless, but then it has these really great moments of like heart and 
like really cool touching moments for the characters where you get a little bit more depth into the lives of these superheroes. Yeah, completely agreed. Keeping on with Haley Steinfall, as people have been calling it um, this last couple of months, um, I've been watching Dickinson again. Uh, we're one episode away from the finale of the entire series. Season three, it's almost over. This last episode was talking about like war and what it's like to lose your best friend. And what is it war. good for? Nothing. Oh, it's good for absolutely, absolutely nothing. nothing. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, but it was a touching or oil. It's good for oil. Oil. Yep. Um, that is very true. Sales. It's good for sales. Mm -hmm. It helps yeah. out and, with all and, that. And the uh, drug trade. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, drug trade. Um, this last episode was sort of saying farewell to a character that we met, I think, like in the first episode of season one. And just, you know, the memories that you've made with people and your friends and sort of what war is like the last day that you see someone. So I liked that episode. We're one episode away from the end of it all. And then that'll be it. And I will have no nothing else to watch on Apple TV except for Ted Lasso. Except for Ted Lasso. Gotta watch Which that Which means you're Lasso. canceling? Are you canceling your subscription? Oh, until... it's not my subscription. It's my friends. I just use oh, hers. Oh my goodness. Don't say this. Edit this out, Nick. <laughs> Edit this out because Tim's going to come after you guys. And then rounding out Haley Steinfall, um, I've been watching Arcane. Yeah, I started uh, hey. from episode two. That's why I texted you, Max, about the time jump. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on, I started episode four, so I'm maybe like 10, 15 minutes into that episode. How are you liking it? Um, it's fine. The first three episodes, I, and I think you and Isaac, our friend Isaac, um, both of you guys said that after the time jump, I'm going to like it more. Um, yeah. I can tell by the first couple minutes of that episode that I am looking to like it more. Um, the first three were fine. They were good, like, setup episodes. Of, like, here's the character, here's the world, here's the motivations of these characters, especially between Vi and Powder. I, I don't... Do we call her Powder? Do we call her Jinx? Whatever her name is. Well, um, for now, Powder, but... Yeah, Powder. Keep watching. Yeah, so it's good setting up the relationship between the two of them and their father and sort of why, you know, the Jace is working with the arcane and the magic and how that's going to affect uh, going forward from the time jump, which we see, which I've seen only a little bit from the couple of minutes that I saw the episode four. Um, but I'm not like in love with it like everyone else is. I don't think it's the greatest thing that's come out. But to be fair, that's only three and a quarter episodes into the show yet so that's really mm -hmm. all i have to say about it i think it could also be um evident because of the fact that you're watching the show already with all the hype that it has and so that's the problem it's it's kind of like the squid game syndrome where the issue is that when a sh it's best to watch one of these types of shows before the hype builds up because i feel like then you'll have a more unfiltered experience with it whereas now you're already going into it with the preconceived notion that many people including myself have said that it's possibly the best animated show ever made uh, just in terms of production value attention to detail music sound voice acting just on the technical points it's second to none because it literally feels like nine movies in terms of just the animation quality i don't ever recall seeing this type of quality in any animated show or in, even in anime and um the story is another great narrative because i feel like they do a great job of 
again, like you said, establishing the rules, establishing how the world works, how everything interacts and like where you are in the world right now as you're taking this glimpse into this world and then showing you how these characters now will influence the rules of this world. And I think the show really ratchets up as you do the time skip because that's where all the stuff is no longer, it's not the world happening to the characters, it's that characters now will begin influencing the world around them. And so I think that's where it starts getting a lot stronger and more interesting. So I look forward to hearing your opinion on it once you've watched all this. Yep, there is one definitive thing that I can say, you know, like of Arcane, four episodes in, you know, I won't talk about, you know, like my opinions of the show entirely, um, but that Imagine Dragons theme song just sucks. It's <laughs> terrible. I hate that you hate it. Well, I'm glad that you think it's pretty good. I'm glad that you enjoy stuff. That's wonderful to hear. And I don't mean that like maliciously or like sarcastically. It, it is I malicious. genuinely It is malicious. Uh, no, because I genuinely Nick, this is the thing you have to understand. When we watched the first episode, him and another friend of ours, uh Kim, they literally did such a good job of convincing me that they liked the song too that I was like, <laughs> "Yo, that's so awesome." And we were like bopping to it. And then after we watched it, I realized they were just being sarcastic uh -huh. and that they legit hated it. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Yeah, I, I hated it too. Yeah, for sure. Now, now, here's what I will say. It is better than Believer. I think that song is bad. And I think that that entire album, which I have listened to multiple times. Um, Believer? Nope. Finish it, Max. Finish it. No, I can't. I can't. I just <laughs> I just toss it. it. I, I, I toss it as a softball for him. Avenge me, Max. <laughs> <laughs> I, assume, oh. I assume Manny didn't uh share the uh the clip around that I had from our Spider-Man 3 commentary, but Manny very clearly in a high-pitched voice said Avenge me, Daddy, in a Spider-Man 3 commentary. Mm, interesting. And now yeah. you said it too. Mm. Mm -hmm. I also said that I wanted to stick a <laughs> fork in a toaster. So you did <laughs> what oh, I said. That's good. <laughs> You do you guys have like a quick warning uh, before the commentary start? We should. We probably should have to, to to avoid. Lawsuits. I'm gonna say some stupid shit here today. Yeah, yeah. You, you are warned. Everything that we're gonna say, do not do. Yeah, which I did say. I don't actually want to stick. I'm just curious. I'm just curious, like how does it feel? To, to you, you can tell he's getting defensive because he uh, his his voice raised a couple octaves there. I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, I, I, I could tell yeah. you it doesn't feel good. Is that enough for you, Manny, or are you still curious? Uh, listen, I will always be curious. Mm -hmm. See, stay curious, folks. Don't just that is stay a good, complacent. Yeah, that's a good stay life curious. lesson. Stay curious. That should, be the, that should be the thing that you guys say at the end. That should be like our, our sign yeah, off. Outro. Yeah, outro. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, you know how Ellen says, be kind to each other, even though apparently she's not. She doesn't practice nice, that, but, yeah. Yeah, but um, you guys could say, stay curious. Instead of saying, like, stay classy, San Diego, we'll stay, stay curious. You can say that. I will. I don't endorse this. Exactly. Max, is there anything that you'd like to talk about that you've seen outside of Spider-Man? I'm a much more, like, I think, from what I understand, I think you're both, like, educated in film, right? Like, that's the thing that you chose I am to literally study. educated in film with a college degree. Yes. yes. Literally. Yes. So, so literally. because of that, I, I think you guys look at it as a, a, at a much, like, higher level than i do so for me again as we break these things down I, I i'm definitely much more like surface level and i enjoy these things as just something that's entertaining sometimes obviously you know a movie could be something significant in your life for 
many different reasons, but like I don't break it down on like a technical basis. So just forewarned. Um, and uh, besides that, as far as stuff that I've been watching, I'm trying to remember what I've watched besides the fact that I have rewatched uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. I'm sorry to hear that. One and two. And uh, for number two, I listened to the commentary, which was interesting because they did, they couldn't even get Mark Webb to do the commentary. <laughs> they got uh, it was only the writer Avi Arad and another executive producer Oof, like Brian what a, something. What a was that like Orsi or Kurtzman? One of, those, one of those guys. I think they wrote the yeah. second one. Yeah, that's um, a who's who right there of questionable Spider-Man decisions. It, it was interesting to try to listen to them, like what they thought and like how some of the decisions that they made and the certain things that they were paying attention to. So that was kind of interesting. Um, I still like those movies. I know they're not good. I know they're flawed. I know they have problems. I know they're CGI and all that stuff. But I still think they're really fun uh, movies. I really, really, really think that Andrew is just an amazing, amazing Spider-Man. I think he does an awesome job as Spider-Man. And Sally Fields is like the greatest Aunt May. Like she like has so much heart that it's incredible. Like so many scenes in those movies that I'm like, to this day, I think are picture perfect Spider-Man moments. Unfortunate that they couldn't be better movies. I wish they were overall like technically better from a CGI perspective. They were better from a pacing perspective. They were better, but still really, really uh, entertained by those. And that's completely unrelated to Spider-Man No Way Home, by the way. All I will say about those movies is that Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone deserve better. That's all I'll say about those movies. Yeah, I'd say that's a reasonable thing to say. I just wish they were better, like technically better movies. Cause I feel like they're, I feel like they have the, they're like someone who's like got great potential, but never realizes it, their potential in life. And they just like squander it. That's the closest like metaphor I would draw. I think I, I think I put the veto on doing those commentaries. Yeah, you did put the veto Ooh. on those. Even, <laughs> even though I, I, like I was telling Nick earlier, I'm like, I generally like amazing Spider-Man one more than most folks i think it's better than spider-man 3 and i will stand by that um oh yeah i agree with that but yeah nick doesn't which is perfectly fine you know spider-man is different for everyone um but yeah i i like andrew and i like i i've always said i think that spider-man 2 suit it's the best spider-man suit that we've seen i every time that i see that opening the first like mini of that opening of him swinging through the city and seeing that suit that suit is fantastic I love that suit so much. I don't think there has been a suit that has come close to topping how much I genuinely adore that suit. I think it's just perfect. But yeah, Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. Their movies, I like 1 more than most. I think 2 is, you know, perfectly where it should be, personally. Um, but that suit, give it more credit, folks. It was a good suit. It was a damn good suit. That's all I got to say about the Amazing Spider-Man films. And all I will say to agree with Manny, they are movies. I can say that. They are indeed movies. That mm-hmm. is very true. And they have credits. They do have they credits. They do. People worked on them and got paid. Good for them. Good for them indeed. Well, folks, it's that time of the hour. We have made it to the Spider-Man No Way Home discussion. To preface, again, we will be going into spoilers, but that's going to be after we give our general thoughts on the movie. That'll be maybe, you know, a couple minutes. We'll give a disclaimer when we're going to go into spoilers. 
full spoiler discussion by the time this episode has come out you will have had time to see it it's made so much money in the world um but here we go our spider-man no way home discussion i want to hear from max first because i think he's going to be the most positive of us oh wow really interesting so in general i think that this is the best spider-man tom holland movie by far i think he's never played for me he's never played spider-man he's always played this other character this is the only time that he's been peter parker and this is the only time that he's been spider-man as far as like what i think of as spider-man it's a movie that's very very busy um in terms of how much it tries to do because of its scope it suffers from a very similar fair critique as far as like if you're looking at it like someone like I'm assuming you guys will be as more of a film aficionado where can this thing stand alone? I think that it suffers in a similar way to like Infinity War or Endgame where it's a movie that requires you to buy into the other um, movies that have come before it to really enjoy it to its fullest. There's one thing that we'll discuss in the spoilers that really bothered me about the movie. One trope and one mechanism that they use that I really did not like. But besides that, I thought that it was an incredibly fun ride and it legitimately might end up being my favorite Spider-Man movie ever, like past Spider-Verse because of, without spoiling things, because of the way that it's it masterfully takes something that should be a complete disaster and should be very complicated to pull off. And somehow it sticks that landing and somehow it takes the issues that I and many other people have had with Tom Holland's Spider-Man in his previous outings in Homecoming and Far From Home. And it manages to explain why we had those problems and give him a much more well-rounded character while setting him up now for a very interesting and exciting next outing. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought the uh, score was great. The action was great. I thought that the uh, motivations for the villains was great. Um, so to me, it was, as somebody who uh, is a fan of these characters because of the comics, that's where I always go back to. This to me felt like a classic Spidey story by Stan Lee and John Romita. Like it felt like just a comic book come to life. And anytime they do that, I enjoy it a lot, even though it's oftentimes I think could be criticized for the lack of complexity relative to, let's say, more like cinema. Um, and people who that's what they go into movies for is that they want more of a, um, complex story and things like that uh to me i really 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 enjoyed it and thought it was uh, a fantastic film so now let's begin the roasting you can go nick okay so i liked this fine overall i enjoyed the ride in the theater for the most part there we go i'm saying for the most part again um i had a lot of issues along the way some a lot of them have a lot more have come up since i've been thinking about it in the past couple days I remember feeling more positive outside of the theater than I was when I made it home uh, from the theater that night. Yeah, just a lot of a lot of issues that popped up. I the biggest one I felt watching the movie is that I 
admired the motivations of our good guy characters, but I also found them incredibly misguided to the point that I ultimately was not supporting them in their endeavor because I felt like it really wasn't worth the risk that they posed to the universe and the multiverse that we see in this movie. Um, so I was watching a lot of this movie actively not rooting for our main characters because I thought they were making the wrong decision, and that was a big issue that I had. I think by the end, it does have a decent arc for for peter i would still probably say i prefer the arc he goes through in homecoming to this one even though this one feels like the first time that it truly does have stakes for his own life i still don't like the overall direction of mcu spider-man being that he's largely based off of iron man at this point he's in sort of intrinsically linked to iron man in particular and the greater mcu so i've never felt like he's tr a truly friendly neighborhood spider-man the scale has always been bigger than i would like spider-man to be and the scale is so big in this movie that it doesn't really feel like spider-man stakes to me just from my own personal experience which which has pretty much just been the movies i'm not a comic book person um and growing up with the Raimi movies that's generally what i prefer um so yeah, I had a lot of issues along the way. I think everybody for, uh, generally does good work. There's some issues I had with characterization, and I felt a general, for the scope of what this could be, I felt there was a bit of a lack of ambition in what they ultimately decided to do with these characters. I felt like there was a lot of potential left on the table for a lot of the characters that they brought back, and I thought they could have done more with them. And of course, that's also, this movie is already two and a half hours, so I don't know how much longer I wanted the movie to be but I still felt like there was some potential left on the table with the characters that they brought into brought into the fold. All in all, I do think it was fine. I'll, I'll probably watch it again. I'm sure we'll do a commentary or something, uh, but I'm not rushing back to the theater anytime soon to see this. Um, I'll, I'll let it wait for a while, see how I feel down the line. I might feel differently for better or for worse, but yeah, I thought it was okay. Mang's going to be right in the middle. Watch. <laughs> yeah, I am right in the middle. I, I like the movie a lot generally, um, there are some things that I don't like about the film. Um, one of them is a major thing that sort of spans through all three films that by the time we saw this one, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but in general, I do like it. It's no Spider-Verse. Uh, Spider-Verse for me is just still the undisputed king. It's the number one Spider-Man movie in my opinion. I think that this film is definitely the most like Spider-Man that this version of Tom has been. I think the difference between this film and um, Spider-Verse in specific is that this film is sort of what it's like to be Peter, which is cool, but Spider-Verse for me was what it is to be Spider-Man, and that's why I like that film way more, in my opinion. I like Peter a lot, like, that's not an issue in general. Um, I think that, for the most part, it balances a lot of things very well, but there are a couple things, specifically comedy, that I think are just blown way too much um, in the film. Um, I like all the villains for the most part. I think that there's a couple that definitely get the shaft, but the ones that we spend time with, I like overall. And I like where the film ends. I absolutely love the last 15 minutes of this movie. Um, it's interesting that like you talk about stakes because for me, they never felt that big outside of like uh from i think in general for me they never felt that big because they were so personal to peter in specific but we'll talk about that when we get into spoilers but overall i don't love it as much as max but i definitely don't think that it's just fine i think it was a good maybe great product that i enjoyed very much i've seen it twice i didn't get bored of it twice um 
the theater experience was what I wanted. I know it wasn't what it, what some people wanted. That's just sort of what I expected with the movie. Um, I liked it more than I thought I would because going into it, you know, leading up to it, I'd been very bitter. As we talked about on the podcast, I was very <laughs> angry. Very not, not about the film per se, but just, you know, the conversation, the fans, the expectations marketing. for the movie, the marketing, especially. I'm like, why? But I always said that that wasn't the movie and seeing the movie, I liked it. So that's pretty much what I have to say. Just before we jump into spoilers, would you say this is your favorite MCU uh, Spider-Man movie? Uh, I really love Homecoming, but I think I think I do like this one better. But I think Homecoming is a better movie. The same way that I love Infinity... No, I love Endgame, but a lot of people say that Infinity War is a better movie. Whereas I think Endgame uh-huh. is a better movie. But I think I like this one more, but I like Homecoming's story its characterizations of, you know, the specific characters. I like that more, personally. It's homecoming for me, but I do like this more than Far From Home. I'll say that. Yeah, Far From Home is definitely the weakest. I think this is the strongest. And what I'm super curious is that it seems like you two agree that Spider-Verse is the going into this, and I guess coming out of it, you guys still believe that Into the Spider-Verse is the best Spider-Man movie, right? Yes, and I, I want to go, and I want to go into that, like about why. Yeah, I think because that. because I think what's interesting is that, to me, I think this is very, this is a live action into the Spider Verse. This movie yeah. borrows not only from Spider Verse. <laughs> I guess we can go into spoilers now. Um, it borrows not only from Spider Verse, but it borrows from Spider Man PS4, especially. Those were the two yeah. like influences that I saw the most. All right, spoilers. Can we talk about spoilers now, guys? We're going to talk about spoilers. I think generally Spoiler we all alert. recommend it. I feel like Nick would probably say go watch a matinee showing of it. Um, you're gonna watch it anyway. Is what yeah, I will say. You're go- yeah, you're gonna watch it anyway. Um, if you're if you want to watch it, you're gonna watch it. My recommendation means nothing. Yeah, um, I recommend it. Max recommends it. Um, spoilers, 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 spoilers. Guys, we got the Spider Man back, which I mean wasn't a surprise. <laughs> we all the leaks for this movie were just look horrific. look at Toby's dick, Manny. Look at Toby's dick. Okay, that's an interesting <laughs> first thing that's to an, mention. That's an inside check because, about the leaks. because there were photos yeah. that leaked of Daredevil and Toby and yeah. Andrew, which Matt Murdock is also in this, which was what I was actually most excited for rather than Toby and Andrew. Um, I was mm-hmm. very happy to see Matt back on the screen. And Doing I that, a whole lot of nothing. Uh, listen, I thought that scene was fantastic. I, I think that the beginning does just sort of wave over like, oh, you're Spider-Man, here's a lawyer, here's all these charges and stuff. They just wave over they, that. They drop it in 10 minutes. Yeah, and they're like, all right. But did they need to focus? Because like I've seen that criticism online of some people I want saying, a courtroom well, drama, I'm sorry. Put, yes, but the issue is this is not Matt Murdock's story. The, and it's almost like you don't even, if you don't know who that is, you're not supposed to know who that is. He's just a lawyer. Like, he's not supposed to play any type of significance in this story. This is Peter's story. Uh, multiple Peters as in plural um, story. And it's not really supposed to be like he, he's like, he truly is to me like an Easter egg in the same sense that like in into the spider verse, there's lots of Spider-Man characters like Spider-Man Noir or spider pig who are like completely throwaway characters. They don't get any development. Uh, There's no, you're not supposed to like appreciate them beyond just them appearing. They're just there. That's it. Like they don't have, uh, a relevance to the story. And I feel like 
if they try to make everything significant to the story, that's my big problem is that it's clear that they felt like MJ and Ned didn't have enough to do in this movie. So they came up with Ned getting this power out of nowhere, which is mm -hmm. my biggest pet peeve with this movie is that I hate that. Like, I think that was the dumbest thing in this film. The fact that he just develops this thing out of the blue. It's so dumb. It doesn't make any sense. And it's just such a lazy way to force uh, Ned and MJ to be more prevalent in the story. And I, I thought that sucked. Uh, it made no sense, especially when we spent a doc an entire Doctor Strange movie establishing that in order to get access to these abilities, you have to go train, you have to go and like be coached and all that stuff. And then Ned just goes like this with his fingers and suddenly he can open portals. Like it, it drives me nuts. I hate, that's the, the biggest problem I have with this movie and everything. Like the fact that that's how the two Peters get brought into this sucks as well. It's a Spider-Man story. So focus always on Spider-Man. That's what it should come back to. I don't like, I, I appreciate the Easter eggs and all that stuff, but I don't need every character that's in the movie to have, okay, well now let's give him 10 minutes to like shine in the limelight. It's like, no, this is not Matt Murdock's story. He's just a, he's just there. And if you know who he is, you recognize him. But I guarantee you a lot of people who watch this movie, they don't even know who he is. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. That's his lawyer. Cool. Yeah. Which is you know? totally fair. And my point like, isn't that I wanted more Matt in the movie, which I mean, I, I did, but I, but like, that's not why I went to go see Spider-Man was to see Matt. My thing is like the first 10 minutes just gloss over the implications of it. Like we hear like, yeah. oh, here's school. Here's what it's going to be like. But we never like truly see that for him, which I would have liked to have seen like him trying. What do you mean? Like, like, like the implications of him being Spider-Man? The or? implications of people knowing he's Spider-Man. Like we get the early, like we, we get do. that first scene. He can't of, get to school. Sure, but like, for I, the school. like this is kind of the issue with the movie is that it, the first 10 minutes were the end of Far From Home. Then after that, it's a completely separate movie, which I like the separate movie, you know, but I feel like if you're going to sort of introduce this, then I would have liked to have seen it more, which is the issue of there's two good ideas for a Spider-Man movie here. And what we see of both, I like, but I think, you know, like I would have coming off of Far From Home... I would have liked to have seen him dealing with people know my identity more because I think like after the 20 minute mark, he goes and sees Dr. Strange and then that's when the second movie sort of takes over. Yeah. And so yeah, I yeah. just wish that there would have been more of him like the college stuff. I liked what they did with the, you know, college stuff of him not being able to get into school into college because of him being spider-man maybe you know when he goes to see delmar at the bodega from homecoming maybe he looks at him differently now maybe if you like we get that scene at the beginning where the teachers are sort of split on him but let's see what it's like with students like we see them have their phones out but we don't ever truly see how that affects them more than oh now people know like their uh association to spider-man and i wish i would have well, seen more of that I think I, I think I would maybe disagree. I'm sorry. I would maybe agree with that if the movie did not wrap up the way that it did. Because I think that what we've learned with this whole MCU uh, Spider-Man is that he is immature and he is a kid. And he like and, and I think we sometimes forgot that we forgot that he's still a dumb kid who 
until things don't hurt him personally, he doesn't really like, like it's like water off a duck's back. Like think about yourself as a kid, right? When you were 14, 15, whatever, you didn't care about any like serious issues. And when you heard about him, you would say, oh yeah, that sounds bad. Like it's realistic in that sense. And then we see how that same naive immaturity now has consequences. And that's what finally forces him to grow. Because we see that even people knowing his identity, he's not that bothered by it until it becomes an inconvenience, until it becomes something that creates a, a hurdle for this goal that he had for his entire life, where he planned and worked towards him, Ned, and MJ attending MIT together, getting to go to the school together, the thing that they've been working towards their entire school career. And as somebody who was in a similar position, as far as like I aimed for a certain business school I wanted to attend, and then that did not come together. That's the biggest devastation in his life. We, The way that the movie plays out and what we see happen with Aunt May, we realize that Uncle Ben in this world, in this iteration, either passed away before uh, that he passed away from whatever reason he passed away, or it wasn't a tragic death, which then explains why Tom Holland's Spider-Man behaves with a lack of, with great power comes great responsibility. He's never had that moment until this movie. This is where we see him realize and mature and finally practice that Spider-Man mythos and like commit to the idea that he will from now on always put others ahead of himself. Whereas in Homecoming, in Far From Home, he was a selfish kid, which made sense now. Like that that's why I think this movie is so brilliant because it now in hindsight retroactively makes those movies stronger. It makes those movies better because now we are finally given into this insight that because there's a multiverse, we are now aware that in his world, the death of Uncle Ben was never a tragic event the same way that it was for our other Peter Parkers. And he gets that tragic moment with Aunt May. And the maturity that he exemplifies from that point on is exactly what has been lacking in Tom Holland's Spider-Man. And so that's why I don't think that it's like a problem that it didn't harp on it because I genuinely think that to him, he was still in that moment, that same kid who like, he didn't care about what it means that people know that he's Spider-Man until it started to hinder his plans. I agree. I, I'm just saying that I would have liked to have seen more of that, of it affecting his life. That, that's but all it's that a I would. two and a half hour movie. Agreed, How much which more is could what, they which put is like in why there? I had, which is why I had I had said like when we first found out, oh, it's gonna multi, it's gonna be a multiverse story. I said, all right, cool. So it's gonna not be. I don't want to say like, it's not gonna be the story that I wanted, but it's not gonna be the story that was set up after Far from at the end of Far from Home, which in my opinion, it's not uh, after the first ten minutes. I mean, yeah. I yes and no because the problem is it's like I. I Having read that story in the comics, I know how bad it can go. Brand new day and all that. It it can be really bad. Um, it's I, I think that it works just in the sense that we immediately like we see that it's a crutch, right? We see that it's something that is becoming more prevalent and problematic, right? And we will see how people knowing his identity, specifically his villains knowing his identity, then will have consequences, grave consequences. 
for his loved ones further in the movie. So we know that like that idea of people knowing that he's Spider-Man will still play a factor. To me, that wasn't really the most interesting stuff that I would spend more time on. To me, there were multiple moments. Um, like I, I felt like that transition was pretty natural. I think there's just multiple moments besides that, like later in the story that I think should have gotten a bit more time. And unfortunately, they kind of like, it feels like for the sake of getting this movie to be as tight as possible, they cut it out. Like when, when um, Andrew's Spider-Man gets to, uh, who was he? He was Peter Parker 3, I think, right? Yeah, he was Peter 3. Peter 3 rescues MJ. That scene felt way too fast. Like it felt like, oh, are you okay? Like it was, it's like they didn't have enough time to like, you know, play to the emotional resonance of that moment. I agree that there are moments in this movie where I wish it had more time, but I disagree on the notion that we needed more time to see yet more people. Like, cause we do see, like we see the teachers, how they react and how they set up that whole like shrine for him in the school. So like we get some comedic moments. We see how flash reacts and like what he's now going through. And then we also see the turn where people are like, now it's actually a negative thing to be, to be friends with him and to be, surrounded by him because now you're shrouded in like controversy and like now you have a court case and all this stuff. So it's like, I think that it's incredibly like realistic and then very honest in terms of like, oh, okay, you, that is what you would do if you were Parker and you were just a dumb teenager who's like, Hey, I know this wizard dude who might be able to help me with getting rid of this problem that has now been revealed to the world. So I don't think that there was anything lacking as far as like driving that point home. Like, did you feel like it, we didn't get enough to where it warrants him not wanting people to know his identity? I I guess I got I never felt like it was to the point that he should have been so desperate that he had to go to Doctor Strange. And maybe that's something you need to spend more time with. I don't know. But it felt like, especially because I, I didn't like that he just got to go to Happy's safe house. And it felt like he got away from like all the negative attention pretty quickly once once they stayed there. Mm -hmm. It felt yeah. felt it felt a little bit too easy to get to get them to that point where he's got a safety net of some kind. The yeah. situation doesn't feel so desperate to me by the time he actually goes to see Strange that he needs to go see him, I guess. It doesn't feel... I I don't know if it's a time thing or what, but it doesn't feel like enough to get to that point where I'm going to believably buy that he's ready to ready to try this, especially knowing the stakes that are at the but stakes that are exist you, if it goes wrong. Yes. But what here's the thing where I agree with you 1000% if he was the typical Spider-Man. But if we contextualize it as the kid who's literally his entire MCU experience has been too easy, has it not? When has he struggled? I mean, he really hasn't. So that's a problem for the other five movies that he's been in. But but that's that's what I'm saying, where it's like now in context, it explains why he is the way he is, because he hasn't had struggles. And so the even the smallest little thing, like he's such a spoiled brat up until he sees the consequences with Aunt May, that it shows you like it is that spoiled person who's like at any sight of like difficulty or challenge, he folds. And so it actually like shows you that that progression and growth as a human, as a man, as a as a superhero, it happens exactly when he experiences the consequences of this immature behavior. Like it, even all this stuff, like I'm sure I'm assuming you have a critique also of like the villains, right? Like where it feels like 
his motivation to try to cure them, if I interpreted your point earlier, is mm -hmm. very like naive, right? It's extremely but, naive, and I don't like that yeah. Aunt May's the same way either. But do you not think that it's like it goes right back to the same point? Like he is a naive idiot. That's the point. He is he is too naive. He's too naive, and everything is like because Tony took him under his wing. His whole life is like worked out for him. He's had no troubles. Everything is like a cakewalk. He goes to this fancy school. He gets a really nice suit. He gets to travel to on European class trips, implying that he's not all that poor as we expect usually Peter Parker to be. This is a different Parker who now life is going to suck. Now he's like, now he's going to see what a, the typical Peter Parker experience is like. Now he doesn't have an aunt that can carry for him. He doesn't have access to Hogan who can now offer him his services or support him financially. He doesn't it, like literally it sets up all the naive and the mistakes that this person makes. Now it all makes sense. Like it, it makes sense because he's consistently naive and dumb. That's how he is. He is uh, optimistically dumb to think that, oh yeah, you can, turn this around or you can cure everybody or you can, he has that like immaturity about him. And then he pays the ultimate price to where now everything going forward will be Spider-Man. It will be what we expect Spider-Man to have problems with. It will be a Spider-Man who is far less about himself and always puts everybody else in front of him. The fact that they were able to unweave all these problems about him and show that he, yes he is naive and he's dumb and it's consistent like his uh, character arc until he suffers something horribly traumatic that really hits home with aunt may he doesn't change he's always this like naive idiot who believes that oh yeah just uh, whatever it'll work itself out it'll work itself out you know he's like if we look even in um, Infinity War, when he attaches himself to the ship, like that's such a dumb decision. You don't know how that's gonna go. You like, but he's just naively dumb to be like, yeah, whatever. I'm gonna attach myself to that. I'm sure it'll play out fine. Like he makes over and over again really dumb decisions, and now there's a consequence, and now he changes, and that's why like the the ending of this movie is so beautiful. Like that whole scene when he comes into the coffee shop like that whole sequence at the very end is just phenomenal i think i agree with what you're saying in theory but i also think that that creates an issue with this movie and with the previous five movies that he's been in is that he's been this is his sixth movie and he's only now finally starting to grow as a character i'm like i've seen this guy a lot on screen and it feels like it's taken forever to him for him to grow i feel like at this point with how much we've actually seen him on screen he should have grown more than he has by now and that's my big issue is that all the development that he's ever had happens in this one movie and it retroactively hurts the previous movies for me and it hurts this one because he should have been farther along than he is at this point but to be fair when you were 16 did you make you made the same mistakes over and over and over and over and over again yeah but when i was 16 i didn't have the learning experiences that he had in all these movies or at least that he should have had in theory he's been but through which learning experiences did he have that's the thing because, like, you see, the only time we ever see him struggle for real, for real, is in Homecoming, right? When he's buried under all that rubble. And what's his instinct? Immediately, he's like, help, somebody help me. Like, even in that moment, he doesn't immediately, like, his instinct at that moment, because he's a kid, he needs help. He's like, he doesn't look inside 
He's looking always externally. It's always happy. It's Aunt May. It's Tony Stark. It's it's always external. Whereas this is the time, this is the first time that we see him look inside. He looks for strength from within. And that's a very mature thing to do. And I think that, again, if we keep contextualizing the idea that this is a kid who starts out, let's say, in grade nine or grade 10 or whatever, and by the end of this thing, he's going into college, I don't think, like, I don't think it's all that unrealistic to not see a whole lot of growth out of you across your high school years. And that's where we like, I feel like we sometimes like, because we're holding him account to the same, to the other Spider-Mans or to the Spider-Man in the comics who were older, generally speaking, they were like ending school. I think that he is much more akin to ultimate Spider-Man, like in the comics where ultimate Spider-Man was a kid in high school and he makes dumb decisions all the freaking time because he is a dumb teenager. And that's the same thing with Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Whereas by the end of this thing, he's now a man. And now he's making decisions truly not as a kid or a child where he's very selfish. He's incredibly selfless going forward, or at least I hope so. And the, the way that they play that final scene has me incredibly hopeful that that's where they're going now. Now they're going into a place where he doesn't have all these luxuries to rely on. He doesn't have, like you said, I like the use of safety nets. His whole life, he's had safety nets, which is something that we don't expect from Spider-Man. And now they're all gone. And the only ones that he could put together are using his own webbing. So I, I like that trajectory. And I like that it is a different take on Spider-Man, that it is a take that I'm like, oh my God, how the hell did you manage to like make it make sense now? And they did that. So I was incredibly impressed with that. Yeah, I think I just think everything you're saying, which I don't necessarily disagree with um, in a vacuum, I guess. Um, everything you're saying just makes me think that as a whole, MCU Spider-Man has really dropped the ball in characterization and that ripple effect has extended over to this movie. Because to me, approaching these as movies, your main character should grow in each movie. And I feel like he did uh, some in Homecoming, didn't at all in Far From Home, barely did in any of the Avengers movies he was in. I feel like we've seen him enough on screen. He's had twice as many movies as the nearest Spider-Man to him. And it feels like we're only just now starting to see him grow. So that, in hindsight, in retrospect, makes makes me dislike his characterization in the in the past MCU movies more. And I think it hurts this movie as a result, because by this point, I feel like I've been on enough adventures with him that he should be farther along than he is, even if he's a kid, which he still is. But I mean, we've we've seen him in so much that he should have grown more as a character than he has now. And that just cheapens every movie he's been in for me, because as a character, he, he just now got to that point. Is that a problem with this film or is that a problem with his entire saga? Because that, it's a, that's it's a, a ripple a effect that affects this movie, is what I would say. Hmm. So you're just frustrated at the pace with which he showed character development. The fact that he finally developed so much in this movie sort of makes me look back at the whole scope of what he's done so far and realize that they've dropped the ball in his development. I think his development in this movie could the stuff that happens to him could have come more gradually, like. Uh, for example, the Aunt May moment, it shouldn't take until his sixth movie to have a formative moment like this, I don't think, when it happens in the first half hour of every other Spider-Man story. And I would ar I, I would also argue that his Uncle Ben slash Aunt May moment should have been Iron Man, and they treated it like such, and now they're trying to have their cake and eat it too by doing another similar moment. And that, to me, cheapens this moment, because his moment should have been the Tony Stark moment. I mean, I, I guess to me, I, I never 
bought into that relationship between him and Tony as the way that they tried to pitch it, where it was father and son. To me, it was always very uh, mentor and mentee. And so it felt like maybe like losing like a comrade or somebody like a colleague that you were really close to at work. But I think that, again, goes back to the idea that he is a kid. And when if something like that happens to a teenager, he'll be like, yeah, that sucks, but I can move on. Like it, it's, it's not, um, in, in, especially right now, like it's clear that it's not, it didn't have the impact on him that it should have, because again, he makes dumb decisions again. And within the context of he's a teenager, it makes sense. Cause if he is an adult, then I feel like you could justify to be like, okay, well at some point this guy's got to like wake up also like to be fair to his interpretations. Like if we count civil war, that's pretty much a fight scene. Like he, there's very, if we make the same point for the vast majority of the characters in that movie, um, they barely get any character development as well. Same thing applies for infinity war and Endgame. There's those movies are not um, designed to put a spotlight or promote, I guess the progression of characters. Those movies are predominantly made for bringing everybody together for epic scope uh, battles. And so I think that that's I, I, like trying to be fair there. I do agree with you in the sense that um, far from home, I think is probably the weakest link right now, because Definitely. I think homecoming had um, uh, some development in hindsight, whereas far from home definitely feels like the one where it's like, okay, well, what did he gain from that experience? Like besides yeah. just, I guess the progression of his relationship with MJ, but outside of that there's nothing there it lacks substance that movie like it feels less significant now but i would argue like if we look at just the trilogy i think that ignoring the fact that the middle part lacks substance and again it, it, i guess we could just appreciate like the action right like that scene with him fighting mysterio is still one of the coolest mcu fight scenes ever right where he does like the dead iron man um zombie iron man uh, vision and all that that's a cool visual but it doesn't really have a whole lot of substance but if we look at it as like homecoming to this i do think that we see him again he really does go from being a teenager to an adult now and now he's making different decisions and now we can see like it has me so excited about what's to come with this peter parker now because now he is he's going to exemplify the qualities that we assume peter parker to have why do i think that's the case because he already did that in this movie at the very end yeah i'm just annoyed even if you like it's fair enough to only look at these three movies where he's been the star but i still think he, in movie three him still getting basic origin story beats like losing that that key figure in his life in aunt may the fact that it's happening in movie three just again cheap to me it cheapens everything he's associated with because a lot of the stuff should have been happening sooner. And the fact that it's only happening in this movie makes it all feel rushed in this movie to me and makes me appreciate the previous movies less, but we've harped on this point for long enough. I think we can move on to other aspects. Like MJ being a fan of the Mets, baby. She says that the Mets are going <laughs> to make Mets. it all the way this year. Uh, I don't know about that. Outside of that, I want to talk about, you know, some good in the film. Uh, Max mentioned the last you know, 15 minutes of the movie. I really love the last 15 minutes of the movie. I think when he makes the decision to tell Strange, hey, tell everyone to forget who I am, I was like, oh yeah, that's definitely something Peter would do. And then seeing the last 
uh, especially the coffee scene of him finally deciding like, no, I'm not going to try to make their lives worse to make mine better. And I really like that whole aspect of him. And then I really love that last suit that we see. I think, man, I've had an issue with the Spider-Man suits in the MCU. I mentioned it a lot <laughs> in the commentaries where I have not liked a single MCU suit for the most part. Um, this suit I love. Like what little we see of it, I really love. And I was talking about how it reminds me of Spider-Man uh, PS4. And especially, A, the look of the suit, but then B, him jumping out of the window is just ripped out straight mm -hmm. from the beginning of that game. So I think that they did look to that game for inspiration for the characterization of Peter, um, specifically for the ending of the film. Yeah, you're much you're much more into suits than I am. I The only one I don't like is the first Amazing Spider-Man suit. Well, I guess... I don't like the Iron Spider suit, I think it's called in, in, in these movies, but otherwise I don't really have too much of an issue with either of them, except the issue that, again, he's got to way too many suits in these because he's got way too much access to all that other stuff. Yeah, which means now he's going to be far more restricted, so we'll see. Um, I, I think uh, visually, like, that suit looks really freaking cool. I really like the first suit that he wears in Civil War, like the one that he jumps in, because I, I think that has a lot of like classic Spidey, but then also obviously like underlying like, hey, he has access to Tony Stark's money and research and R&D. And uh, that's what they were able to come up with. So I really like that design. I was not a huge fan of some of the other suits. The Iron Suit is okay, because again, it's a cool homage and it plays a significant role like in the comics, let's say the iron suit uh, that we don't see it play as much of a factor uh, in the story for this um, Spider-Man. Unfortunately, I wish it would have because in the comics, it's like an actual like motivation for why he wants to join Tony and like uh, signed a civil war uh, registration papers. Um, but whatever, that's a whole nother tangent. Um, yeah, the suit at the end is really cool. And I thought that even the suits in this, like the, that uh, suit that he wears for black and gold uh, with the gauntlet and all that, I thought that was a cool suit too. It actually worked really well on the screen and looked really neat. So uh, I didn't have any problems with costuming for anybody, especially freaking Electro. He looks so sick. I, I love the rework for Electro. I looks better than he did for sure yeah he definitely looks better i actually really like the rework for green goblin that i think that one might have been like the highlight i mean green goblin in the movie in general was probably the highlight for me i think that he was great um i was watching some people talk about the movie and they brought up a good point of that i just wish that the camera would have stayed on him longer because they do a lot of like cross-cutting to other characters and i'm like nah just, just keep the camera focused on willem dafoe but i like like at the beginning that we see um, we see the Raimi suit and sort of like that's the beginning and then he breaks it, but we only see the mask ever get destroyed. So by the time that we get to the end, he's in the hoodie. He has the little like arm cowl and he has the purple highlights around his chest and it's still the Raimi suit. And so I did like that mm -hmm. rework of that suit personally. I don't know why I'm talking about suits. I just really like them. Um, but the last thing I'll say about suits is that all the, watching this movie and seeing the other two Spider-Man suits, I was it made me like the MCU ones even less. Even though these ones did look worse than the uh, than the movies they're in, in my opinion, um, I think that they do the same thing that they do with Tom's suit, where it's too much CG on them when they're going back in through them. But overall, I still think that they were that they still looked better than the MCU suit that he wears in this one. 
until the uh, last suit that we see. But, you know, that's just my opinion regarding suits and costuming in the film. Yeah, I mean, I think you could say everything in this movie is too much CG, and I think a lot of it just doesn't look good, which I've had this complaint about the MCU in general, but I think especially these Spider-Man movies with Sony, there's just a sort of artificial look that I really don't like, and it's carried through all three of these movies. Hmm. Interesting. I think that that's probably just a stylistic thing, because I have the same thing with the Snyder's uh, movies with Justice League, but I feel like I'm in the minority on that, where most people say that it's really beautiful but to me it's like exactly how you just articulated that it feels very like fabricated and way too fake um yeah. for me here i did not have that problem i i think that this is in general like this is the best that these characters i think could have looked without making it feel very dated because i think a lot of those movies if we go back and we look at them with like a modern uh sensibility i think or even with that current sensibility like the lizard i think looks way better i think he looked terrible in his own movie of course um i think sandman looked really great in this i think electro was a huge step up goblin great modern take like to not make it goofy or cheesy compared to today's sensibilities so uh, i thought they nailed that i think even doc ock like the whatever de-aging technology they used to uh on molina i thought worked really well Visually, I did not have any problems with it, I suppose. Because I, I don't think that this had the same thing like like Shang-Chi did, for example, at the very end, where it's like all CGI. Like, even though the, the fight scenes were definitely at the end with like Sandman and all that, there was a heavy use of CGI. But I don't think it went to the same extreme as we saw in like Shang-Chi, for example. I don't know. Maybe I was just happy that they would break it up like it, it didn't feel like a continuous cgi fight it felt like there were little story moments in between right where we had the moment of the conversation between strange and holland spider-man we had um toby almost dying we had uh andrew uh rescuing mj so it's like it felt like there were enough cuts to full-on live action where it didn't it didn't feel like a giant like oh here's 20 minutes of cgi at the end because we think that that's what people like my issue is more that, like, the production design and the sets, you can, like, as someone with an eye for editing and who's seen just a shit ton of movies over the years, I can tell that they're on green screen sets, like, 98% of the mm. time. The production design just... Uh, and these these Spider-Man movies especially, the MCU has, has has its issues in general with that, but these Spider-Man movies especially, everything just looks artificial to me in a way that bothers me. Um, I, I said that there was one thing in particular that I really didn't like, and it was Doc Ock for the first, maybe... 20 minutes of his character i felt that he was just way too like they played up him being a boomer in a different universe way too much in my opinion i think the the highway fight for the most part is pretty good um but pretty much once he gets captured he just becomes a completely different character but then once he gets the inhibitor chip like reversed i really like just the slow moment of him being like the voices i don't hear them anymore and from mm -hmm. there on, I like that version. I like Doc Ock. But I think that middle section of him just being an old angry boomer yelling at Peter, I, I didn't like that. I mean, that's, again, a general MCU issue is that they always go for the joke. And they just joke too much for me. Like, I, I enjoy comedy. I enjoy moments of levity. And the Ray movies especially, you get them all the time. But they, they go for so many quips. And I feel like 
these characters as i remember them weren't all built for quipping at this level especially uh toby's peter i don't think works well with the quips that he gets in these movies andrew is far more built for this movie than toby is yeah i agree that toby in general like felt like a little he was off this uh, entire movie yeah he just felt a little bit like not as excited to be in this um which he should have been because he hasn't done anything in a long time um he was in yeah, the boss maybe baby. Okay. Oh, that's it's right. a baby, a baby that, that talks. talks. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, as as a big Rami fan, I was happy to see him, but I went. He definitely got the short end of the stick in terms of material. Like, they obviously they had the one big moment in mind for Andrew, and I don't think they had an equivalent moment really for Toby. I think the moment for Toby was him talking to Ock and that whole conversation of you've grown well, and stopping Peter from from killing Norman. But that was like sure again. Yeah. It was more about the other Peter. It was less about Toby. Toby doesn't get that much shine, I guess, and not. I'm sure it's a more of a selfish thing of me wanting him to get more shine because I'm just so partial to that character. He had three movies but, to shine. Like, like I'm not going to yeah. say, like, oh, he, he deserves the short end of the stick, but, like, he has two really great films and then one that I don't like, but I know that you love. So I feel like they wanted to love do... Love is a strong word. No, I said like. You said love. Oh, well, either way. Um, but <laughs> I feel like they, they recognize... Toby has this material already established. Andrew didn't for a lot of people. So I feel like they wanted to show this is why Andrew Garfield is a good Spider-Man and why he yeah. was a good Peter and sort of try to give people, I don't want to say like reassurance or hope or anything like that, but showing them, hey, he was a good Spider-Man. He just didn't have good material. And I think that this was material for him to work with really well. Um, Max like made the point earlier about that scene where he catches um, her being too fast. I kind of don't agree because I think it goes to the point of what you were saying with Matt of like, if you know, you know, we don't need to spend as much time on this as other things. And I, I liked that scene personally of just him sort of just crying and you get the realization of this is what he couldn't do before with Gwen. And he doesn't want to have Peter go through that con like that sacrifice that he had to i think that that was something that both peters did for this version of peter was try to make sure that he didn't experience that you know exact yeah they tried to teach did. him the lesson the lesson that they learned right like each one yeah. of them learned a harsh lesson right like toby said yes to the dark side and learned that you will not be fulfilled by going down that path right andrew learned that if you let the people closest to you know that you're Spider-Man and they participate in your life, you are always putting them at risk. And it's it, it and it's a selfish decision because it's like you're choosing your happiness over their safety and ability to live a normal life. And so I, I felt like that's what's really cool about this movie is that it both of those lessons were taught to our MCU Spider-Man. And it shows you that the moment, the universal lesson that each Parker needs to learn is that loss, right? Like they had uncle Ben, he has aunt May, no matter what that lesson is like a must if you're Spider-Man. And so it was a really clever way of using those characters. I am curious because we glared over. Did you guys, were you guys okay with Ned being able to do magic? It's an annoying thing that I expect from these movies because it feels like all these movies have 
um, characters like this doing stuff they shouldn't be able to do. So it's not the first time something like this has annoyed me. It annoyed me crazy. It annoys me, but not as much as time travel or dimension hopping bothers me in this movie. Because I'm really confused as to what them fixing their villains does for them in their universe. The cure thing is so vague, I hate it. Like, Well, it's not even like the cure thing being vague. It's that it's established an endgame. Well, endgame and Loki are about time, but not dimensions. But going off of a timeline means if you make a decision there, it creates another reality. So I'm curious as to what... Do they now have a different reality and a different dimension? Yeah, of, of The same things leading up to there, but now it's a different dimension but they say that they return to their original dimension where they died like i'm just like what was the point of that is the my like question i i agree with the i think that again this goes back to the uh immatureness and naivety right like where if you look at strange he immediately is like hey dude like this, this is useless like this is a lost cause you can't cure and save everybody it's not gonna happen like just give it up and that's that and He's naive enough to be like, yeah, we can. Like, I feel bad after he has that scene with Green Goblin and Aunt May and like um, that little coffee shop and whatever, where he's like committed to the idea of like curing these people and like really helping them. And like the problem is, you see, it's like they tease like, oh, maybe he was right. He cures Doc Ock. He cures Sandman or whatever. And so the idea there is like, Oh, you can redeem bad guys, but it's like, no, sometimes there is a true evil in the world. And Green Goblin, in this case, he's truly like evil, right? So you're not going to be able to fix him, quote unquote. Yeah, but and don't they don't they still do that at the end of the movie? Kind of. Yes, I agree. That's a problem of Marvel villain stuff is that they always want to keep the villains option open to where mm -hmm. it, it, it they they're not really villains, right? Like they and, and that goes back to. Like we said, that comparison with wrestling, I don't like that. Because to me, I think you need to have a clear bad guy and a clear good guy and let them fight and give them a reason to fight. Like why? What's the good guy um, trying to prevent the bad guy from doing? And that's that. You mentioning that reminded me of a problem I had. I don't feel the stakes of this movie uh, after Aunt May's death until we get to the third act because all those villains just disappear and we have literally no idea what they were doing and all that time they were gone. So the urgency to actually take care of them and, and get this done doesn't really feel that urgent to me because they just disappear. No, he's right. Pretty much after they leave, like after Aunt May you, dies. You don't see any of them again until they get summoned to the Statue of yeah, Liberty. There's after nothing. that, we have the scene in the in Ned's house where the Peter Parkers come in. Then it's them on the roof. Then it's them in the science building. And then it's them at the Empire State or the Statue of Liberty. Mm -hmm. And that's when they come back. But how much time passes? Maybe a couple hours. Oh, you mean how much yeah. time passes in the movie that we don't see them? Yeah, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. that's like 30 minutes or so. Yeah, we, and we get like, we get no... We get no real inkling of what their what, what their plans are once they get out. It seems like they want to go back to their universes, but well, like, isn't their motivation that they just don't want to um, they don't want to get sent back so that they die? Yeah, but but I thought the my understanding is that if they get cured, they can be sent back without dying because they'll their fate will have been altered. Isn't that the but, idea? But but Green the Goblin has that big speech where he says like, "Yo, these get like what we have aren't." Uh, curses or anything like that like look at They're what we gifts, can yeah. do with them and he's trying to show them like hey 
if you get cured and you go back, you're going to go back to being nothing. You're nothing to a bunch of people. <laughs> so, so yeah. why do that yeah. instead of just keeping your powers and doing that? But, like, to combat that, like, we don't ever see what they do after that. So I understand what Nick is saying about, like, we hear him say that and we see them, like, agree with it, but we don't ever see them do anything with it outside of the final fight where they all get sent back. Yeah, it makes me feel like what's what's the urgency of uh, sending them back to their universes if they're not really doing anything to harm this one? Because they're really not. They're just apparently like we don't see them, but apparently they're just kind of sitting around. Yeah, it's not until Strange comes back and says like, hey, you know, now everyone who knows Peter is starting to come through and I can't do anything about it. So you need to start either sending them back or, you know, make a decision. But but isn't there also an implication like the death of Aunt May and that whole building getting obliterated and everything that, hey look at what they did when in just that small segment and then again if only 30 minutes or whatever passes there's just not time for them to go out and plan but they are like we can see max immediately grabs the power source and he's like yeah i actually because if you go back to the amazing spider-man he was like a nobody right like he was never seen that's why he when he's so like uh, the allure of the fact that uh, Gwen remembers his name. He's like incredibly excited. Like, oh my God, she actually remembered my name. Like, that's how much of a nobody he was. And so now the allure of like grabbing this arc reactor and becoming an even more powerful version of himself beyond what he had ever been even in his own world. That's the idea there, right? Is that will evil always choose like more power or would he be willing to go back to being just Max Dillon, irrelevant scientist who did all his ideas were stolen by Oscorp and pawned off as their own? I think you're putting more into them than the movie actually does. I, I feel I, I feel like what, what it is say. is that it's here's the idea of what they could do, but they don't like show it. We, we, don't, which see, is, we don't actually see the consequences. I mean, other than the the anime moment, but with the rest of them, the lizards out on the loose, uh, like everyone's like, they're all bad guys out on the loose, except Doc Ock. And I guess you could maybe say Sandman because he's always been on the fence, but like, they just don't do anything other than the personal moment for Peter, which is supposed to be an effective personal moment. As a whole, we don't see the stakes of what they could be doing because we never get an idea of what they are doing. I mean, I guess, yeah, I, I could see, I guess, like, if you wanted to, like, see some sort of, like, uh, destruction and, like, them going off and, like, abusing their powers, I guess, yeah, we didn't, a aside from, I guess, like, their introductions, like, when we see them for the first time, right, they are literally abusing their power until getting trapped by Peter, so, like, we kind of get a preview of, like, what kind of decision they would make, I suppose, but, again, I wonder, like, again, this is what's crazy about this movie is that, could it have used another 30 minutes? Like, could this movie have been way better with an extra 30 minutes? But that's a crazy thing to say, considering the movie's two and a half hours. Or you just end No Way Home differently, so you have a bit more time to explore that stuff in here, kind of like Manny said earlier. You mean Far From Home? Far oh, from yeah, home. yeah, sorry. Yeah, you could end yeah. Far From okay. Home differently. Anyway, yeah, I think we've all brought up great points. Is there anything else that you guys would like to bring up about the movie? Um, I was going to say, I feel like we haven't talked about much, but I feel like the main points... I brought up. I did mention that, I, and we talked about Peter's naivete a lot already, but I will say, um, 
I scared everybody in our Discord server the other day because I said that this movie reminded me of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which is a movie that I hate. It was only in one uh, specific way, which is that, like I said, I'm not rooting for the main character most of this movie because I think objectively he's making the wrong decision. Uh, and obviously you, your argument is that he's supposed to be, and I think he should be a bit less naive by now than he is. But he and Aunt May, I'm not letting her off the hook either. They're making these decisions that I think are admirable, but they're also especially as strange brings up compared to the stakes of what could happen with the multiverse and everything like that it's really not worth it just to help a couple of people and i also think it's a weak moment for strange that he gives in and agrees to that and i think that ripple effect affects the whole movie for me because i just feel like and, and it goes on to the whole idea of the cure the cures as well because i just feel like he's making that this is definitely not the decision I would make in this situation, so I'm not rooting for the main characters like you should be. And that's, to me, that's a big problem. For me, like, having, you know, read, you know, the Spider-Man comics that I have or playing, like, the video games, Spider-Man is always about the other people. And to me, like, I don't know, like, if you play Spider-Man PS4 and you see Aunt May in Feast and the way that she interacts with Peter, it was very much, this is the way that Aunt May would act or this is the way that Peter would act, is that he would sacrifice so much for the other people. And I feel like that was Peter, in my opinion. Like, I don't know, like even playing Miles Morales, which is a different version, you know, Spider-Man. It's not Peter Parker, but it's a high school aged character that's called Spider-Man. Um, he risks sort of destroying renewable energy or like helping out all these places because the bad guy was his friend from, you know, growing up in the where they grew up wow i cannot speak spoiler right alert. now like yeah spoiler yeah. Alert. uh growing up like growing <laughs> up together having that relationship together and he still sees that there is good in people and to me that's what this spider-man was exemplifying was that peter sees good in pretty much everyone and the way that you talk about how you hate the character like you not rooting for the main character is the same way that i felt about spider-man 3 and you could say like, oh but he's corrupted by the symbiote i don't care i'm not rooting for that version of peter to get anything in that movie personally and i'm not either as we talked yes, about and you're not like, and you're not he's a dick either. from the beginning yeah so like i the issue that you have with, like this peter is the issue that i have with mcguire's peter personally um, but I see your whole idea of like, oh, the naivete of him to sacrifice all this for, for people. That's Spider-Man to me is that he would do that to try to reason with people. I mean, we see, we see, Even we though see I don't agree with it, by the way, most yeah. of the time, like selfishly, like what you said, the comparison, I don't know if uh, Nick, you've ever played Marvel Spider-Man, Nope. but the ending of Marvel Spider-Man, he has to decide, does he give I, the I know. cure to I his aunt? Or does he use allow them to take the cure and go reproduce it to heal ever? I'm telling you, like honestly, I don't know if I would have the ability. Like if it was the last person of in my family, like the one last person, I honestly think a lot of us would have chosen to just save that one person. Selfishly, it's like the Last of Us thing, right? Where you, I, I think a lot of us would choose if we're honest with ourselves. If we're honest, like in the moment. I think a lot of us would choose to save the one person that we love because whether we admit it or not, we are selfish creatures. But that's what makes Parker different is that he chooses, he always ultimately, like even when it sucks and it's literally the worst possible decision for him, he he does the right thing for the greater good. And he'll be like, okay, whatever, I'll, I, I will make an exception here because it's, it, it'll save everybody else. Yeah, I think just... You know, 
our heroes are supposed to be the best of us, and I think in an ethical situation like this, as a hero, I feel like he should have made a different decision, and I know he's naive, which we've already talked about, but I'm just not on board with him for a lot of this movie, and and I yeah. I understand both sides of it, but it's just, it's something that yeah. I do feel strongly about from my own approach to the world. I, no, I, I agree. Like, I, I think that's the only lens that we can analyze things from, right? Is from our lived experiences. That's what the wonderful thing about, like, that's why I think that there's no right or wrong answer here. You know, it, it's us just debating us, like, from our, each perspective. And it's like, I, I 100% can see what you're saying. And, like, the criticisms are valid it should that be the things that you look for but then i also put like a context around it for like seeing the context of he's a kid and he's a dumb teenager uh who's been handed everything and it's like we see most of the time in our society how that plays out right like we see anytime most people who are given a lot of power uh, and no negative consequences as kids or teenagers they go on to, generally speaking, end up pretty terrible human beings. And so to see him have this like kind of moment where he's like shaken by life, where it grabs him by the shoulders and like, hey, you, like you got to wake up, like enough of this, enough of this behavior. You got to stop behaving this immature and like you got to grow up right now. And I think that, that this movie does do that for me. But uh, again, I, I think your critique of, he is sometimes difficult to cheer for because of the other movies. Like, and, and that's the problem is that the other movies, that is a valid point that you're making. Like if, if it's three movies, like you got to start, you know, like noticing things like putting one and one is two, two and two is four. Like you can't just always be uh, obnoxious, but I, I think that's the arc that they chose. It's almost like what's crazy about this MCU Spider-Man is almost like they took the opposite of the traditional Spider-Man formula right where you start origin story then a little bit more complexity a little bit more complexity here they went the other way around where they're like we're gonna try to do some complexity then more complexity with his mentor and then now the origin story and so it's like it's almost like a backwards telling of the spider-man mythos which is an interesting thing because again for some people it'll work and then for some people it will be frustrating because it's like i've already spent time with this character why are you telling me the thing that's now gonna make them spider-man He's been yeah. Spider-Man. Well, any last words? I think we've sort of talked about what we wanted to talk about with the movie. Oh, I had one more thing yes. I was going to say. Go Sorry, I'm going to bitch one more time. I think the uh, interplay between all the Spider-Men is a little too cute for its own good. I think that was perfectly... I thought that was done perfectly. The the You're Amazing moment is the one that, that really bothered me. I think me. that one goes on too oh. long, but I think... It's too... It's me, too in, I mean, for I, me, that was I wouldn't all... even call it an inside baseball type thing, because everyone knows what those movies are called, but it's like, you're, you're getting a little too cute for your own good. For me, I felt like everything between <laughs> the three of them was just the way that Peter Parker would act if he saw three Peter Parkers, personally. To me, it felt so comic booky. I Yeah, loved me it, too. Because it was so like... I was like, it felt like I was reading panels in a Me comic too. where it's like, again, if you don't like comics, I think that it doesn't work because it feels very infantile. Like it feels very childish and like too, like you said, maybe cutesy, but it's like, to me, I'm like, that's what comics are. They're, they're dumb, fun, like things. They're not supposed to be, at least usually it's not a medium that's supposed to be deep or like they have moments like that, but it's not, that's not what it usually is. And yeah. so, I don't know, I really enjoyed, like, the goofiness of that moment. Yeah. yeah. You, well, you mentioned you mentioned the being dumb fun. I think the MCU sometimes, and it happens in this movie with, especially them talking about Lizard and Electro, 
it feels mm-hmm. like they like again going for the joke too often they try and make fun of like their origin stories and all that but it, mm-hmm. do- it doesn't feel like a way that they're embracing their own silliness it almost feels like they're embarrassed of how they used to be and i wish they would just kind of embrace it Nah, to me that was again like perfectly just something out of the comics where pete would be ashamed of his villains because like he has villains like big wheel you think he's gonna be proud that yeah. he has villains like big wheel like i don't know to me it just felt right for that character a guy in a rhino yeah i fought a guy in a rhino suit like i don't know like it didn't seem like oh like my villains were bad but like hearing about both toby and tom fighting aliens and he's just like man i would have liked to have done that or like him being like yeah (laughs) Yeah. i fought them in space and toby's like i'm still getting over the fact that you fought in earth and in space like to me that just felt very much comic booky and very peter I, I could definitely see that just being ripped out of a comic book of all the Peters just talking about their experiences and their villains and making fun of their villains. To me, that's just yeah. Peter. It felt like a very Spider-Verse moment where it's like they're all kind of sharing like what makes them them, but they have this like similar sense of humor where that seems to be like, again, yet another thing that is universally true for Peter Parker is that he tends to be goofy when he puts on the mask and he has this like certain sensibility. Um, but but in, I have one. Okay. Yes. The, the worst things with one more with thing. A, no, 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 no. It's a question actually. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Do you think we get another Andrew Garfield movie? No. I feel like there's a chance. I think there's a chance now. They gave I they think, gave him enough here that yeah. I think they're interested in the idea. I think that they laid enough groundwork here to where I think. They're going to see the response. And to be honest, guys, this thing made half a billion dollars. So I think that they're going to try their best again, for better or for worse. We'll see. It could be a disaster. Right. But I do think you're right that he he got so much more than Toby to do to where you could see that they're like, hmm, are people interested? Mm -hmm. Like, are they interested? They're testing the waters, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that you're right about that, that it felt very like. Yo, let's see what kind of response he gets. And plus, let's also be honest, Andrew loves. That's what I was going to say. Spider-Man. I was going to say like, like he loves playing the that The issue character. with the the issue with like the Raimi films for me is that I never felt like Pete, I never felt like Tobey Maguire loved playing Spider-Man. Like I I I, I felt that same Raimi loved Spider-Man, but I never felt that Tobey Maguire loved Spider-Man. Whereas Yeah, Tobey was going to leave after the oh, first no, yeah, movie. Oh, 100%. They were going to replace him with Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal. Um but like I felt the love from both Tom and uh, Andrew of them both loving Spider-Man. And Andrew has like gone on the record so many times of saying how much Spider-Man has meant to him. Nick, I don't know if you've seen the Comic-Con video, like when he was announced and stuff, but him in that costume, like saying like, hey, you know, like this is why Spider-Man means so much to me. Like when I was a kid, I would read comics and blah, blah, blah. And then like at the end of him just taking off the mask and saying like, and so I'm so grateful that I get to play Spider-Man. Like to me, he loves Spider-Man. He loves playing mm-hmm. Spider-Man. And I was just so... That was why, like, watching him in this movie, like, I teared up for him. Because I'm like, he finally got to do what he wanted to do. And to me, I'm yeah. like, it's all worth it. The fact that, like, he got to come back all these years and stuff. Like, maybe the material, you know, like, isn't what Nick wants or something like that. But for him, that's what he loves doing. And to me, I'm like, finally, he got to do that so if we never get another one i'm happy like i'm a little bit disappointed because i love andrew garfield and i want him to keep playing this character because he's good at it and he loves it 
But if we do get another one, I am going to be so happy because of him being happy. And that's just sort of like my opinions on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I said earlier that I think he's a much better fit with what this movie is than Toby was. I like I think most people think he's the standout here, and I think they thought he would be, too. So they were clearly testing the waters on Toby's side of things. You get that line of pretty much resolution with him with MJ. Um, so I think they're done with him. I don't I don't see us getting another movie with just yeah. him. But Andrew, I definitely think there's interest there from from both sides. Yeah, like watching this, I was like, OK, so this is this is the finalization of Toby. But this is a second chance for Andrew. Like, it left mm-hmm. things very open for Andrew. Like, he's like, no, I never fell in love. I tried to, you know, just be better and all these other things. Whereas, and we have that, I actually like that moment with Electro. He's like, man, I just thought you were going to be black. I, d- I didn't like the line of, I didn't like the line of him being like, there's got to be a black Spider-Man out there somewhere. Like, I was like, okay. Yeah, all right, but that was co- a teaser, right? Yeah, like, uh, they needed, uh, like, that was like Matt Murdock, where it's like, if you know, it's like, oh, they're talking about But black. I feel like everyone knows at this point. Like, I don't think you needed that line. I feel like you could have cut it yeah. off at him saying, like, I thought you were going to be black. And I it would have worked that a was, lot that better. Was, yes. That was, like, you talk about it being too cutesy, Nick, for me that that like after Electra says like I thought you were going to be black for me that's when it got too cutesy of him being like man there's got to be a black Spider-Man out there somewhere I'm like okay we get it just cut it off at him saying that he thought he was going to be black um, yeah, I actually like that yeah. scene other than that last one no me too like I saw people I, say like oh we didn't need this scene and I'm like I liked it it was a it was a resolution for the two of them and specifically like showing to not Toby showing like Andrew's spider-man and the way that he actually cares for people and not to say that Mm -hmm. toby's spider-man didn't like we definitely saw him caring for everyone we got the last scene in spider-man 3 with sandman and his love for for norman and harry and otto and all this other stuff but i felt like a lot of toby's uh spider-man were personal to him like they were attacking Mm -hmm. his life versus the ones in amazing spider-man were attacking the city of new york and that's uh spider like that's peter's home so i felt like it was a nice contrast of the two of them but i definitely feel like as i was saying earlier toby's spider-man this was i don't want to say like his end because spider-man through is his end but this was a return that was finite whereas with andrew Mm -hmm. it was a return to this character to be potentially brought back yeah i agree I agree. I think, honestly, like, all that stuff that was, like, cutesy is, like, the equivalency of, like, you know, if you go to, like, a holiday dinner or something with a lot of family members who sometimes hate each other, but then after everybody's had a little bit to drink, they all just start making compliments for one another, and, like, you have this kind of kumbaya moment. That's what that felt like to me, where it was just, like, it's just kind of like a wrap-up party for all the Spider-Mans. Like, a celebration and, like, little teasers and all that to me, like what you said about like allowing openings, I think that this movie did such an excellent job of like, I'm so excited now to see what they do next because I think that now Holland's going to play the Spider-Man that I've always wanted. And so the possibilities with him and doing something with, let's say he meets Gwen Stacy or Craven the Hunter, then having to lose Gwen and like what that's going to do to him. I think that, and like then maybe after that, he chooses to go back to him. Like there's, so much you could do there that's just like insanely exciting plus the fact that now you could spin off andrew's spider-man and have it happening at the same time and you can explain it all because of the multiverse i think like we don't really appreciate how much of a masterful thing they did as far as like 
somehow trying to make sense of all of this because it's a giant jumbled mess. And yet somehow they managed to be like, oh, and it kind of makes sense. And you're like, God, how the hell did you do that? You know, like it, it, it's a really difficult feat to like make sense of all this and like make it all somehow work together. Yes, uh, I agree. <laughs> I, I like I said, I don't love it as much as you, but I don't. I don't want to say like not like it because Nick likes it. He just doesn't love, love it as much yeah, as, you know, fun. like as I would. I had fun sitting there and all the things I think about now are the things I didn't like. Yeah. For, that, that's that's the, how me watching It's the same goes. issue that I, not the same issue. It's not an issue, but it's the same thing that me and Nick have where it's like the issues that you have don't affect me as much or vice versa. So it's, yeah. you know, mm. it, it happens. But I think generally we all enjoyed the film. We all have different levels of enjoying the film, but. I think we all said, like, we recommend watching it. You're, you've probably already seen it multiple times, but I agree with... Yeah, I don't know who hasn't seen uh, it, I know. considering how much money it's made. Uh, my parents. <laughs> like, it's insane. Um, my best friend. Yeah, well, your best friend's a snob. If you're listening to this, I don't mean that in a derogatory term. I just mean, like, <laughs> you know, you're a snob. It's not your kind of film, or maybe not something that you seek out immediately, which is perfectly fine. I wouldn't even call it a film. That's the well, problem. It's not a film. It's because a movie. It's not a movie. Ooh. Yes. No, but I mean more like I usually like draw the comparison between like film and movie. No, yeah. You know, I like movies. I like movies. I know that people who love film, they in general, they don't find things like MCU, the Batman movies, like all that stuff. It's all like garbage because it's not what they look for in in that form of entertainment. And that's fine. And I just disagree on that. And I think everybody like is can coexist in that last thing i'll say f in the chat for lizard and sandman uh, that's what i was gonna say did you, like when he when sandman they were started, in the movie which we you and i didn't think they would no, be uh, yeah S sandman got way more to do than i thought he was gonna do do you think yeah. that voice was tom and hate thomas hayden church or do you think that they just brought him back for the ending when they bring him back no, it sounded like okay. Him. I thought so too. I didn't. Th I didn't think the lizard voice was Reese Iphens until I saw him at the end of the movie. But though. is it Reese Iphens? Because I don't think it is. I think they literally just they're credited it. at least. I, yeah, they're, they're not credited. credited any differently. Yeah. So I'm just curious as to like, was that actually Reese Iphens like doing that voice? It's really weird. I don't think the lizard voice was him, but he at least showed up at no, the end. No, he showed up at the end. But Thomas Aiden Church, Thomas Aiden Church, I think, was Thomas Aiden Church. They just messed with his voice in post. Yeah, something about his voice was just like a little bit different than the Spider. Surprise! Movie. It was me. Oh, it was Max doing this. It was me voice. all along. Damn, share some Shout of those royalties, bro. Exactly, share some yeah. of the royalties. It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. <laughs> we brought it back to wrestling before the end. Look at us. Oh, that was what Look I was going to say. Wrestling. The fight between Green Goblin and Spider-Man when... Uh, when oh, Goblin, he hit him with a power I, bomb. I was, like, I was like, that's yeah. a wrestling move. I know that. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> I love when he always does wrestling moves because I love yeah. that it plays homage to like how he wanted to be a pro wrestler initially mm -hmm. when he got powers. The Rock used to do the Rock Bottom in all his movies and he stopped and it pisses me off. But I think that's going to bring an end to our Spider-Man discussion and the episode as a whole. First, Max. It's only been three hours. It's, yeah, it's only been three hours. Max, first, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to spend this time with yeah. us. Talk about wrestling and movies and video games. We really do appreciate having you here. If you want to shout out your channels or anything that you're working on, please do that. The floor is all yours. Um, Thank you guys for having me. I love geeking out about this sort of stuff. I love learning about maybe certain things that I did not consider, certain considerations for how to maybe critique some of these things in a more effective manner. So thank you guys for having me. It was an absolute blast to geek out for three hours about, again, wrestling, gaming, movies, shows, 
and of course, ultimately, Spider-Man, which was an absolute honor to have this discussion. And uh, as far as where you can find me, I am at Blitzwinger on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also have a secondary channel for Rated M for Mature Games, where you can see me play things like Resident Evil, etc. Um, that is Fambo Potion, so check me out there. And uh, once again, thank you guys for having me. It was an absolute blast, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do this again. Would love to have yeah. you back. What, what would the next occasion be? Uh, maybe Doctor Strange. The Batman. Multiverse? Oh, Batman. No, the Max Batman. wants to be on for the, the Batman. Batman. That's yeah. when we'll have you back on. Yeah. I'll probably take Doctor Strange week off. That movie does not look interesting well, to me in the I'll slightest. I'll watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll watch it. I might anything. watch it just for Sam Raimi, just to see how oh, little yeah, Sam Raimi right. actually Raimi's is involved actually in that movie. That movie. Technically, he technically his name will be listener director. That is true. Um, Nick, shout out your stuff. So yeah, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter, Reeves underscore 117. Uh, follow me on Twitch at Infinic 117. Yep, I remember it. I almost I almost listed off Manny's uh, Twitch handle. Um, yeah, Infinic 117. I'm going through the Halo Infinite campaign again, probably kind of slowly. We'll see when I can get back to it. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm up to. All the usual. And then you can follow me, Twitter, StarWarsNerd9, Twitch, InfiniteManny1, uh, Letterbox is just my name, Emmanuel Fuentes. I, you know, I don't believe in branding. I think each name needs, mm. each service needs to have a different name personally. Um, but that's how all that works. And then, of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel, you know, Nick and Main's Infinite Podcast. Subscribe to all of the feeds that we have if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Stitcher, any of those services that you use. Follow, give us a like if they have that you know, option, give us a review and we will see you guys on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.